is the conqueror. No, I'm Alexander. He's no Alexander. I'm the best ever. There's never been anybody who's I'm Sonny Liston. I'm Jack Dempsey. There's no one like me. I'm from their club. There's no one that can match me. My style is impetuous. My defense is impregnable. And I'm just ferocious. I want your heart. I want to eat your children. It was just banter. Stay off the weed! And England win on penalties! History in itself! You know, I think it's a great city. I think they got the best organization in the NBA. But they do have some big old wins. <laughs> I'm here with the winner, Derek Lewis. Derek, why don't you take your pants off? Balls are fun. I understand. Come on, take it quickly, Reggie! Yes, good match. No money's in the fucking resources. Listen, I ain't gonna forget about this by the time we get the Hello and welcome to episode 256 of the Spitballing Pod. I'm Luke Byron, joined as always by Tom Kennett. Alex Jones and Jack Harper. Plenty to get into this week, I do always say that. We do have news of the week this week, a rare week without it last week. And then all sorts of headlines that have taken place throughout the Premier League. Alex, glad you're back one week and you're rustling already. I haven't done anything. I can see your screen lighting up like a Christmas tree. Oh God, it must be ultra sensitive. It's been out of uh, earphones or out of practice. Oh, I know they are. Spurs sacked my manager and you're nowhere to be seen. That's a draft shooting. I was part anyway, of the sacking team. As I was saying. AJ realised what he was about to say then when he put earphones <laughs> in. He goes, it's been super sensitive and hasn't seen much action in a while. <laughs> <laughs> Made sure he put the earphones in, but just before. <laughs> that may set the tone for today because I will get straight into news of the week. Where, as I said, plenty has taken place. Um, so family's pet dog that killed ducks and chickens turns out to be a fox. <laughs> <laughs> now, I would think it's fairly obvious. Heard... Yeah, go on, go on, go on, you finish. Well, I was going to say, I think it'd be fairly obvious what a fox looks like, but apparently not. Never mind what they look like. It's bloody, they're so distinctive in the way that they sound. Have you, have you, have you ever heard a fox, like, howling at night? Or anything like no. that. Have you ever heard so that? If I do, it's like a scream. I'd probably be worried about it. It is cats. horrible. It is horrible. It sounds like a baby cry. Oh, like it's just, it's just horrible. Honestly, I've got, Ooh. I've had like, um, it's been like one o'clock in the morning, um, because I live relatively close to a field where they're obviously burrowed in at the back, and they come out, and I've had a shouting match at one o'clock in the morning with one of them. Say shut <laughs> out the window just because they won't bloody shut up. <laughs> this That's is Alex. There's a lot for me to unpack there, Alex. I mean, I'm going to start with you saying that's what a baby sounds like screaming and then backtracking out of that statement. <laughs> well, this is what I was about to say. I was about to say that they sound like a, a baby crying, but I've forgotten. That's not the bloody foxes that live in this area. Those are the bloody cats that fight during the night. They sound like a baby crying. That, that's true. I mean, but then the second thing I need to address is the fact that you've said you had a shouting match with a fox. I want to know who won. Who but, won? I, I did at one o'clock in the morning. This thing was like there making this bloody noise. And I shouted out the window, like hissing at it and then shouting like, shut up and go away. I've, I've got this image of 
the Family Guy sketch of Adam West shouting out of his window saying, so it's a yeah. challenge match, you want to kill Hog? <laughs> I can't. Alex is off Mrs. with the Fox straightener. <laughs> hey, I, I was in a bad place that night. I was in a bad place. What, what were your words that you were saying to him? Uh, hissing and then just shut up. Go the fuck away. <laughs> There's a rabbit around the corner. Go eat that. <laughs> I was but one Alex... more out away from going out the front door and scrapping with it. <laughs> you claimed earlier before that you thought you could take. scrap a cheetah, so... I could have a light work. I could have a fox. Um, Alex, one that you may be able to relate to here. Um, a woman had to make nine porta potty stops while running a marathon and still achieved a personal record. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever uh, needed one while you're on a triathlon? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's number not one, great. Number two. Uh, number two. Uh, I, I, I can, I have the unique ability of being able to wee on the move if I really need to. My word. Yeah, it's a special skill. So what, pissing your pants is a special skill? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, at that point in a race, <laughs> at that point in a race, it's like, it doesn't really matter. Do you bear grills it and just drink it afterwards? Like a, like, like a <laughs> Tell you what, if the aid stations if the aid stations are sparse, I mean, honestly, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, you would sometimes consider it. Alex saying that's a special skill. I mean, would you consider shitting on the move to be a special skill or just? Uh, I'd say that's that's a tragedy. Running on the move, yeah. <laughs> being able to piss, being able to piss while you're having a while you're running is. Either a side of just terrible core control, or uh, or just as a special talent. <laughs> because this woman says before that she's um, left a few logs in her shorts and carried on running the rest of the race. Oh no, thank you. That, that that's not going to be pretty. That's a she's more dedicated than you. Then it seems. Yeah, it depends who wants it at that point, doesn't it? Just to take us back, Alex, um, you've just said there that you've peed in your wetsuit while running. You wouldn't run no. in a wetsuit for us because you no, said it would no, damage no, no. the suit. I never, I never said I peed in a wetsuit while running. So I said I, a normal. You don't. You don't, wet, even worse. you don't. You don't. You don't wear a wetsuit for the entire duration of a triathlon. You take that off after the swim. So what did you wear? Well, I imagine you've got something underneath. It's a tri suit. You have a, a tri suit on from start to finish. He's not doing. He's not doing the rest of it naked, lads. What do you think this is? No, yeah. I mean, <laughs> like that's not underneath. That's so that's still rough. got that's still got pee all over it. I mean, he's also, he must have pissed while swimming as well. So in which case, it's to be honest, you've got, that much, you've got that much electrolytes and fluids moving through you if you've hydrated right, that it's just either just salt or it's just like, oh, it's just, it's just nothing. That you wouldn't run in a wetsuit to get a world record for the podcast, but that's fine. So I would if you provide a wetsuit. You've got your own. I'm not running. Doesn't want much, does he? Doesn't I'm not, running not running that. I've only got what it's expensive, and I've only got one of them, and I don't want it to. I don't want it to be ripped, torn, or chafed at all, which it would be. I don't understand why it would tear with you running in it. That just means it's not fitting properly. They're not designed to be. They're not designed to be <laughs> for a half marathon. That's bloody why. <laughs> they're not designed to be pissed in, but you're, you're still going ahead and doing that. Look, I'm, I'm entirely, I'm entirely, I'm entirely sure. I, I look, I get it. You don't really have much experience with running at all. I know that's going to be football players at Brockworth. But um, there I think you're forgetting that uh, Jack was there as I did the 1500 metres in front of the school and came sick. 
<laughs> she set the uh, school record for the yes. uh, 40 meter skip at Brockwood Primary, <laughs> as well as winning the egg and spoon race. So I think you'll I'm find so- I've got as many trophies as you. No, that's fair enough. I'm sorry. I will apologise. I didn't quite realise we have a, had an athletic titan hosting the show. Hey, I was in the middle of the podium on them as well. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, after whatever's gone on in Hollywood recently, uh, The Rock says the only guns that he will use on movie sets moving forward are his biceps. I feel like they could still kill someone. So I'm sure um, the families of uh, those affected in the uh, Alec Baldwin case uh, feel a lot better that The Rock has come out and told everyone this. They probably weren't too buzzing that Alec Baldwin went out on the lash on Halloween. So. <laughs> I don't know if I'd be in the mood for a fancy dress party having killed someone a few days before, but each to their own. You never know, ask Alex. <laughs> those noises were coming around his house. Um, Widow says she never agreed to husband's body being dissected for spectators at autopsy show. Well, that must have been a hell of a surprise. Um, we like bad luck on here, just for our own amusement, but um, man eaten by piranhas after jumping into lake to escape bees. That's <laughs> <laughs> a bad day. Would you rather have the bees or the piranhas? I'll take on the bees. Bees, What if you're allergic to bees? Well, I don't imagine you're not allergic to brass. They just uh, go through you in the same way. There you go. It's just tough, tough choice that way. Great film, the two piranha films. Great fun. Um, brainwashing children. Right wingers attack Sesame Street's Big Bird for promoting COVID vaccines. <laughs> Uh, there is a petition to erect an Emperor Palpatine statue in Scotland that is gaining traction rapidly. I can get behind that. <laughs> um, stress can accelerate grey hairs, but hair colour can be restored when stress is eliminated, scientists find. So they're mm. actually doing a bit of good science for a change. Useful to know. It's quite interesting, that. Florida man arrested for throwing alligator through drive through window. There we go. We're back in business. <laughs> oh, God. Um, sensational. Aldi axes beloved Kevin the Carrot from Christmas Ad and replaces him with a banana called Ebanana Scrooge. <laughs> That's apparently huge news, by the way. Um, Doug, the mutant spud, could be the world's heaviest potato at nearly eight kilograms. Big Doug. Uh, a fish has been found with a parasite that eats its tongue and then becomes its tongue and they're oh. unsure how far this is spread oh, oh. wait what do they mean how far it's spread as in well, as in how, how many other fish is made into fish that have been fished and have probably made it onto our dinner plates maybe that's a fish case for tea actually last uh, thing that- I'll t- tell you what, actually, the last thing that any of us need is a parasite taking hold of our tongue and running, running away with coming and saying what it wants. Well, the last headline of the day, um, one you may not have been expecting, um, Neo says he doesn't regret the three-way he had with a mother and her daughter. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I mean, he wants you to know he does not regret it. 
I imagine they do, though. <laughs> Would you say that's so sick of hearing about it? I'll leave. Ooh, I'll leave. I'll log nice. off now. I'll get off. I'm nice. done. Love it. Could have driven a wedge between them. The daughter's uh, Miss Independent there. Nice. And if anyone I'll... knows another Neo song, then... Uh... Yeah. <laughs> is anyone out? <laughs> <laughs> so that is your news of the week. Um, plenty there. So we'll see what happens next week. Um, if we get straight into the football then. So Man City looked frighteningly good at times on Saturday. TK, I'll come to you first. Was there anything Man United or Oli could have done? Uh, well, they could have done a lot better than they did, but I still, I, it wouldn't have changed the result, I don't think. And the same as <clears throat> all the conversations about the formation or whatever, I don't really know that they could have done much different. And probably, I guess the most depressing thing for Man United was I thought they played like it was damage limitation from the start yeah. because that's probably what it was. Yeah, an Eric Bayon goal and a close range hook from Bernardo Silva in the first half were enough to seal the three points. And pile more pressure on Oli Gunnar Solskjaer, and we'll do our best to not make this an Oli out segment as we've had every week for the last month, just waiting to uh, get the clicks from him being sacked. But United are refusing to do so. Um, Man City had 67% of the ball here in this game. Um, it was United's first home match since their 5 0 humiliation at the hands of Liverpool, and were obviously blown away again in front of their fans. Um, Jack. When you tuned in to see this, often these games, and I do a predictor at work, there was a part of me that really wanted to pick United because I just thought their counter-attacking style against the way City play was going to work perfectly. I don't know if you agree. I felt it 2-0, or certainly within about a minute of the second half starting, you could have quite confidently turned the game off and had no concern as to whether Man United were going to stage a comeback or not. Yeah, I think if you look at the previous, the last game that I really remember with the crowds in where they won 2-0, wasn't it? Scott McTominay scored that goal in the last 10 minutes to make it 2-0. That was the last time I really remember them having any kind of belief. And it's funny because obviously there's that interview going, doing the rounds at the moment of Oli finding out that Harry Maguire said that they just lacked the belief to kind of get back in the game. I think that, I can't remember if that was after the Liverpool game or after this one. But that's exactly what this team looks like, just devoid of any belief. Um, there's absolutely, you're right, there's no way that I saw them get back into that game. They weren't showing any kind of passes together. And even their counter-attacking play, it just seemed just completely disjointed. I think they're not used to playing with five at the back. They're not used to missing that one more midfielder. Um, and it's all just looked a bit wrong for them at the moment. Well, Alex, um, Michael Owen, of all people, spoke quite passionately after the game about this. And, and he said that even just lining up with the three slash five at the back sent enough of a message to the team here that Ollie didn't really believe they could get anything done. Um, he compared it to Klopp and he said that you need to know what your style is and persist with it because then you know who's fit to be there and who's not. He said, if you compare this to other big clubs, they don't simply lose a game one week and say, right, we're going to stick five beyond the ball the next week because that's only going to fix all of our problems. They should have persisted and gone on and that if, if someone isn't going to hack it, then you don't play them again and you keep moving through the team. Do you think after what happened against Liverpool, he really had a choice to not 
play five at the back? Um, difficult, really, because it's you can either take it as he's gone out there with a formation that he thinks is going to work, or he's just done it out of fear. Only he's going to know where that decision's come from. I mean, without doubt, from what we've seen at United so far, Oli needed to do something to shore up that defence a bit more at the back, especially against a side like City. Um, I mean, I wouldn't say when he did. Um, I'm trying to think. Did he pick, did he line up with five against? Did he line up with five at the back against us? Yeah, sorry, it's all right. It's because you mentioned Liverpool, and I know obviously it was a response to that. Um, I know, I think, um, he's played five in the back every game since the Liverpool game, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't say that we've seen enough, um, in the game since, particularly in did, did he do it? Did he do it in the Champions League midweek as well? Yeah, he's, yeah. he's done it every game since. The, well, there's, there's been two, so. But the, uh, yeah, it, this, yeah, this is the thing. He's won. He's won with that, and he got hammered the time before. And his, the criticism of him against Liverpool was that, well, why did you play a team that was performing so shit against Atlanta in the first game, the same team as Liverpool? He said it was going to be different. So then he did change it against Spurs, and they won. And we said we think it was because of how shit Spurs were, rather than anything else. But at the same time, what, what was he going to do? This on paper, this made the most sense to do against City. It's just there's just so much better than them. The yeah, it, class is scary. It like I said, it, it just it boils down to if that was a if that was a decision of oh, well it worked against somebody else, so we'll try and keep it that way. And I can't be criticised for it. I don't think it was a tactical right. City are going to set up like this, so I'm going to move like this. I, I don't think it was like that responsive that responsive move. It was definitely a an emotional move if you were going to sort of pin it down to something. But we've spoken before about managers who want to go out and play their way. I think Arsene Wenger was um, uh, was like quite keen on this in terms of he had his style, he had his system, and he would go out there with a plan expecting the opposition to try and combat his plan and he wouldn't budge from that. Um, I think it's only... The reason that didn't work for Arsenal in the end is because obviously he didn't have the he didn't have the team to warrant that kind of that kind of attitude. I think they needed to be more adaptable. Oli, on the other hand, the squad that they've got at the moment, going out with a distinctive style that other teams have got to go up against you and try and adapt to beat you rather than you adapting to beat them, says a lot about the confidence in his decision-making and a lot about the confidence in the squad in terms of what he thinks his best starting 11 is um, and where he thinks the team will go in the coming weeks afterwards. Um, obviously, it's a bit of a harsh way of looking at it when the opposition is City, one of the best teams of these. I mean, United can, you know, if you're looking for a, like if you were to, you know, line their squads up neck and neck, you'd pick City's just based on, like, if you, like, all over the park, they're just, a little bit better, um, particularly in the middle of the park. Obviously, they're better. Um, but still, I think United have got a good enough team that they can warrant going out, setting out with a certain style that Ollie's developed to go and try and win a match rather than just going out already on the back foot, if that makes sense. Well, he obviously got a lot of stick after the game. I think when a manager's in a certain position, he's going to get the stick, whether you can kind of see why they do it or not. 
Um, conceding seven minutes in, obviously, isn't going to go particularly well. <laughs> by then uploading pictures of said own goal to his own social media was a strange way of going about it as well. Um, so Grealish was benched by Pep. He said quite simply, there was nothing more to read into it than he wanted a left footer on the left and a right footer on the right. Um, some of the stick that Oli has got is that, yes, we understand this may be the best system for now if we're shipping goals. It doesn't necessarily have to be the same personnel. The Old Trafford crowd were chanting for Donny van der Beek, who Solskjaer asked to warm up after 50 minutes and didn't bring on till 80 minutes, which is a <laughs> kick in the teeth, I'm sure. That Fred Bruno McTominay midfield resulted in Roy Keane, who seems to have had enough of Solskjaer now, saying he'd love Oli to walk in now so we could grip him up. And asking, what the hell are you playing, Fred? <laughs> that killed me. Um, that was. Which, oh, I think oh. I think McTominay gets off a bit easily there, just by how bad Fred is. Um, the fact that Cavani wasn't there, I thought, made a big difference as well. Because if you're playing the two up top, and you're not going to have much in the ball, you do kind of need someone who can help the ball stick. Ronaldo absolutely is not that guy. You also lose a lot of the running and pressing up top without Cavani there. Who, had a pain in his knee tendon, I believe, which is why they went with Greenwood. I think the most insulting thing for United is that City could have quite easily scored five, but almost insultingly decided it actually wasn't worth the effort to go out and do <laughs> yeah. that. The the interview with Foden afterwards, and I don't know how many of you stuck around to see this, because um, you know, I was quite tired of it after, as I said, 50 minutes. Foden described it as the game of their lives. Um, he said they didn't put a foot wrong and he said literally everything that could have gone right did go right um, so I think they were expecting a bit more from United but obviously they didn't allow them to do that and the worst thing you can do against City is give them a lead to play with um, I think I, 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 the way I've read into this really is that whereas before you'd always back United to go on a poor run of form and then pull out a shithouse win against the big team because they sit in and defend for their lives. They've kind of lost their house. They're just shit now. Like they They're regressing, aren't they? They're getting yeah. worse at, at this. At pace as well. Like when, mm. when It's defensively Liverpool... how crazy they are, because they, they, they did have a run where that, obviously Maguire and Shaw in particular were getting praised, and they were defensively solid. But now, I mean, those two in particular have just gone to shit. I mean, I don't they know what's happening. Ollie for saying that he's rushed Maguire back when... Maguire's a big boy. Like, if, if if you're not fit, you can tell the manager you're not you're not fit. And even if you're not fit, we've seen other players do this before. And I imagine the same would be for someone like Thiago Silva, who injury and being older, I understand are different, but you have your limitations. He's going to be quite simple, Thiago Silva. In he's not going to be moving around too much. He's he's going to know his position. He's going to clear the ball when he gets it, not mess about with it. Maguire still looks like he's trying to play the exact same game when clearly it's not going right. Mm. Liverpool are an anomaly in the way that they play City and that quite rightly they believe we're going to face you head on and we'll believe that we can outdo you at you. I know they both tweak a little slightly. Chelsea, for the most part, I don't know if Jack would disagree, almost approach these games a lot of times in the same way that an Arsenal Spurs and that kind of team would but with better personnel. In it, I know if Arsenal are playing City, the game plan is we're going to sit tight, we're going to clear the ball, do nothing stupid and hope we can get to about 70 minutes 
and then we'll see if we can nick something in a set piece or something like that. I mean, United I was somewhere. Chat. We saw what Chelsea did against City earlier in the season. I, I, there, there's no was, denying this. That, that was, was a bad the, one. But the thing is, that was the anomaly in the in the four times we played them since Tuchel took over. I think that took us Chelsea fans as surprises. You don't play them yeah, head on though, do you? In the same way. No, it's a very different game plan. It's more of a physical aspect. Maybe I've been a bit disrespectful. I essentially mean most teams that play City are essentially trying to get past a certain mark and then you don't ever go in thinking you're going to have a confident win. You're trying to hang on and see what you can get. Chelsea just have a bit more to be able to have a bit, establish a bit more control in a game like that. Mm. The case just to kind of bring it all around the loop is whether United could have done anything differently in I guess what we're saying is we feel the result was probably there, but at the same time, the execution was poor in what they did try to do. They brought Sancho on at half-time. They brought um, Donny on with 10 minutes to go. Is there not something to be said that if your game plan is to try and press, then you can play three at the back without it being two up top. You can add an extra man into midfield, maybe deeper. You can, I don't know, there's there's other ways of three at the back without two up top because you're almost still then throwing away some dominance in midfield and you're just hoping that you can pinball it. Uh, I think, I think it's easy to right. say from here, but... I think like I've seen it firsthand playing with the two infields and then the two... We're going to get on to that in a second. <laughs> um, and playing with kind of three in the field and then three up top. It's just... There's a massive difference in it. Like if you've got the wing backs that are confident enough to be able to push up into midfield, and it you do play as a true three at the back, and you can pin their four backs right back, it really does work to your advantage. But to be in this run of form that United are in, to to ask your full backs to do that role when they're not accustomed to playing that system against one of the best teams in Europe, I think it's full is foolish really, and you always was going to be pushed back into a into a five at the back and then that's what left him so disjointed because he had the two defensive midfielders sitting in front of the back the back five and they'd clear the ball up to Ronaldo who chooses really he was disgraceful time. yeah he chooses really weird times to press and really weird times not to but there was one they got highlighted where he pressed when he was basically a three-on-one situation his nearest teammates were like just up past the halfway line he just pulled himself out of play there's other positions where he's been in where other teammates have pressed and he's just stood there to allow them to beat it. I think it's really weird. He's, you can tell that he's been used to being in a team that always has the ball and he can just hang around and pick off opportunist goals. He kind of got showed up a little bit towards the end of his time at Juventus because Juve kind of regressed and didn't have that ability to be able to just keep balling every game. But in Real Madrid and when he went to Juve when they were on the up, they they were definitely more dominant team than what United are at the moment. Ronaldo took away Luke Shaw's puddings and he's not been the same since. <laughs> that is true. That ketchup, maybe that's his uh, he, his power source. He's getting away <laughs> again with being a right prick, Ronaldo, with them late tackles he's putting in. Like he tried bullying Curtis Jones the other week because he thought he could do a bit of something to him. He tried to snide one in from behind on uh, De Bruyne that he got booked for late in the yeah, game. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, this time around, he, he's such a twat. Yeah. He, I actually thought something might happen with Oli this week because those headlines started to come out of the weekend that 
Ronaldo's questioning how far the standards of slips and all of this kind of thing. And I thought that could be the end, but uh, mm. obviously not. But we'll have plenty of time to talk about Ollie again. I will say on, on Jack's a... point on his pressing, I thought it looks like someone who was pressing at times to look like he's pressing rather yeah. than someone who's actually doing it. If, yeah. if he charges around a couple of times, it's like, well, look, I, I do do this. When In truth, when you analyse it a bit closer, there's not an awful lot going on there. Another stinker from De Bruyne as well, by the way. Another, he did. He's not had many good games this year. Is really the season? It's not, it's not been the he's same. Been, since he's really broke his no. face. I don't want to do the, but the media won't talk about this. But the media won't talk about this. It, it, some of the. It's, it's the benefit of playing for that sort of team, though, isn't it? It is. He's getting I mean, out of jail on. Even on if, and I don't know if this is the right comparison. Mane isn't even the main man at Liverpool, but you see more attention when he's having bad games than you do when De Bruyne is having bad games, and he's supposed to be mm. City's main man. It's, I, don't, I don't know what... It may be because his game, we've got to a point with him where we aren't judging him on goals and assists, which, whether we should or shouldn't be, is, is another story. So it's harder to, on a piece of paper, say, you're playing poorly, but a simple eye test watching him of late, especially in these big games... Yeah, really not impressive at all. Um, Foden showing him up. Um, Jack, you mentioned it slightly there. So Chelsea dropped points this weekend against Burnley amongst the Liverpool result and the uh, United result. It seems to get off quite lightly in terms of uh, uh, the timeline and all of these kind of things. So the question here, are Chelsea simply missing key players or is Tuchel not adventurous enough? So, so the few uh, so I just said the, the few Chelsea fans I do follow were saying <laughs> we shouldn't be playing this kind of boring football. We've, we've got these players. We're playing Burnley, and I just wanted to bring it back because Fabio Capello won the league for the first time in four years at Real Madrid in two thousand and seven, and was sacked two weeks later for what Ramon Calderon described as a lack of flair. Um, one day Ramos was actually the next permanent manager so the less said about that the better but the intent was there on their part and it raised the question I remember it being a thing then that simply winning football matches isn't enough and you do obviously have to entertain the paying fans in this discussion I almost want to put Europe to one side because I think we're all in agreement you win how you got to win in the Champions League. And we see in English teams, usually that's how they've had success uh, in Europe, at least lately. The Premier League is really what to focus on here because you've, you've played Burnley. You had Pulisic, Mount, Loftus-Cheek, Ziyech, Saul on the bench. Now, I know some of them were for reasons other than just selection. I understand having a system... Did Chelsea need five at the back when you're playing Burnley? I don't know how, when, when you see that, how you feel, because there must be some frustration. Not at all. Like, it was, I watched the game, um, and literally at the start of it, in the first 15 minutes, we had about nine shots. And the amount of chances that we created was ridiculous, and we just didn't put them away. And you can point to Lukaku being injured, you can point to Werner not being injured. Is our two main strikers that aren't able to play, but the chances we created, we were all over them and we were carving them open, no problem whatsoever. 
And it was just the, it was just a case of on the day of genuinely just not taking our chances. It was one against Malmo the game before. Well, on another day, like um, against Norwich, that it was a similar game to that. It's just the finishing wasn't as good. And this comes back to my point, which I made. I don't think we can count Norwich. Well, this is the point. <laughs> it comes back to the point that I made on the pod. The only worry that I have is that because we're spreading our goals so like so far across the team, there's going to be a day where Reese James and Ben Chilwell sure. are going to be your going to be your fullbacks. They aren't going to be the people that get you the goals. That that isn't like a regular occurrence, which is why you need a danger man like Salah and people like that to be able to put the ball in the back of the net when they're asked to consistently. And that's what we were lacking last season. And again, it's what we're lacking now with Akaku being injured. Um, when we line up against Burnley, if you watch the games, I mean, I guess it's hard to speak to opposition fans that don't watch the full 90 against these teams because... Are, you are I'm, a dull watch. You I'm are not, as dull as City, honestly. I'm not, I'm not saying that we're not. We control the game like completely. Well, that, but that's, my, that's my point. What, is what is what that I'm enough saying, for you? Yeah, what I'm saying is, is that we play with a true three at the back. Like we play with four midfield, three at the back, and three up top most games, and that's where we get most of our goals. And you got Reese James and Ben Chilwell that are as good as they are going forwards. Um, but some of the balls Reese James was putting in the, um, the other day was just insane, and his assist for Habits' his goal was brilliant as well. And when you're giving those two players freedom to run and do what they want, it's up to the front three to really press the issue and finish the chances. Now, Havertz, the, the jury's kind of out on him a little bit, where in the moment he is very lightweight. He's not the Premier League number nine, in which people call him a false nine because he's a midfielder going into a nine position potentially, but he's got all the makings of a true number nine. He's tall, he's good with the ball at his feet, he's good at holding it up, but he just doesn't take his chances. And then you've also got Ross Barkley has worked his way back in the team, albeit he's had a pretty decent run recently, but there's a chance that he missed in the second half that should have been buried. Same with um, Callum Hudson-Doy, where on another day we were 4-0 we up before their goal even goes in. So it's not the fact that it's dull, it's winning football. Like We've conceded two goals from open play all season. That's how you well, that, win that, the league. This, this is kind of the point because yes you're winning games I'm not disputing that at all you you play among the ugliest football in the league and you may be predominantly it's effective though isn't it is the thing this is this is this is the question is whether you Hmm. take that because I think you kind of have to win the league because from from what I see and if you just search Tuchel's name on Twitter you'll see similar tweets there are many Chelsea fans that aren't happy with this football and um, I know that may I, be a Chelsea fan. I, I, I think I think this is. I mean, we've got like a massive divide, so it depends where you look. Like we've got, it's really odd because at the moment we we've kind of turned into the Arsenal side of things, where you've got a completely div, like divided fan base between <laughs> fans that just go and watch the game, uh, want to win everything, and then fans that still back Sarri for some reason and say that he got a really hard time. And there's like a civil. And there's like a, there's like a civil war in Chelsea Twitter, like it has been raging for the last few years, um, and it depends where you look. Like most Chelsea fans are more than happy with the way. Like we've seen some dreadful football at Chelsea. This is probably one of the best 
football teams that we've seen Blimey. in the ages. When you consider how dross Sarri was, how unpredictable, unpredictable Frank was in regards to defence, and then you go back to Conte's second season, which was an absolute shit show, and then you have to go back to Conte's first season. It's the last time that we saw Premier League winning football. And even then, that was a ton more defensive than what Tuchel plays. I think if you look through our fixtures, if you kind of take out the last two games, we scored, I think, about... I think we scored about 15 goals in three games. So you can take about what you will. You've got seven, seven of those are against Norwich. I, Norwich, points against them shouldn't even count. <laughs> There's six that hopefully we can count on, but... They're a, dis- they're a disgrace. I mean, drawing with Burnley, one all against Malmo before that. It was nil-nil against Newcastle for 65 minutes, and then you pulled away late because of some Reese James wonder strikes. It's not fun football, and it's easy to say as a neutral fan because we obviously want want to see the the fun football. But you are up there with City at two nil up, watch, watching you play. That that's absolutely fine. But that means that we're not. I don't think your I don't think your fans will settle for that for much no, longer. No, no, it's the, you're not the one watching it. See, the thing is, is that the other, the other thing is this is Chelsea's DNA. If you look at Jose and Conte, yeah. it wasn't a thriller minute. It was effective. Yeah. Sometimes they, it could be won, boring, but sometimes it could be. Yeah, but at the minute, Tuchel's just won a Champions League, and they are. I'm right in saying the top. It's still top, yeah. And yeah, you have to win the league if you're going to play football like this. We're top by three points. I think, like, if you look at it, the players uh, you've got, yeah, I know, but you should players, be playing silk, silk so, football. Again, if you look at how we played um, when we had the likes of Mount full fitness, Kovacic not injured, um, Lukaku not injured, Werner not injured, I mean, we're, we're running up top at the moment with. <laughs> don't don't do this because they're still quite nice options. <laughs> yeah, we're running up top with the midfielder and Ross Barkley and Callum Hudson Odoi on either side of him. We're having to get by with Havertz up front. How are we getting by with just seventy-five oh, million Kai Havertz? But what what I'm saying is though is that as soon as Lukaku comes back into this team and Werner becomes an option, it'll be a completely different proposition. This is mm. our tough point at the moment to try and get through these games with these players missing our star striker. And through these games against Burnley, I think you most teams would be having the same issue. I mean, if you look, we haven't actually lost a game without them, so we're actually doing pretty well. I think it's interesting because I wasn't the, the I thing was, isn't about results though, no, it's just about what, what the style I of football. To say to you though, is like, for example, I'll tune in, I carried on watching West Ham Liverpool yesterday because I thought there was a result in this for West Ham. Whereas you're right, if Man City go tune up against West Ham, say, I turn it off because I think I know what's happening there. And then it's a nice surprise if I look at my phone and they've madness has happened. Like, there isn't that with Chelsea, and that's why neutrals aren't going to find us appealing because as soon as we go and win a lap, apart from it burning yesterday with the lapse of concentration, that's not taking our chances. Like, I'm not you... even talking about neutrals, though. I fully expect neutrals to find you boring. I'm talking about how Chelsea fans are finding you. I, I absolutely love it. I think if we just sharpened up our shooting, which I'm hoping will come, um, we would win most games by three or four nil with the chances that we create. We're just the architects of our own downfall in a lot of ways where we don't take our chances. Don't get me wrong, I watch Liverpool games quite regularly 
because I actually enjoy the way the front three play. And I sit there and think, I mean, what would it be like to watch this scintillating football like every single game? But then at the same time, if those front three don't operate in the way that they're used to for one game, then it all kind of falls apart because they don't really know what else to do with it. Whereas at Chelsea, because we control the game so much, if one player's having an off game, the system is good enough to carry the rest. Whereas if we saw yesterday, if Salah and Mane have an off day, which they seem to have yesterday. Um, Salah playing yesterday. Did he? I'm sure he did. I think he was implying he didn't play very well. <laughs> no, no, I'm just... To be fair, he's, he's been uh, shocking. I was like, I can't believe it. But, but this is what I'm saying, is that the, the times that they have an off moment is very visible. Even, even and, when they have a good game at times, we, we end up going end-to-end with a team and that's not always going to work out for you. Exactly, whereas... I'd describe Charles, two footballers efficient. Yeah, that is that is absolutely yeah. how it is. I think as well, we, we're forgetting that people say oh, they play how they play in the Champions League. We dominated Real Madrid home and away over two legs and beat the La Liga champions home and away over two legs as well. So it's good football. It's title winning football, which is exactly what we need after a couple of... Well, since Sarri and Frank, we haven't had that kind of steal, which I think I've this is literally just, just searched Tuchel's name on... Twitter and look at the ones with Chelsea display pictures. Tuchel ball is boring yet effective. Um, this isn't Chelsea. Uh, this is so annoying and boring. I mean, these uh, people, I don't know, what, for an unbelievably scary team, holy it's... fuck, are we boring? When did they start supporting the Chelsea? Football in the league. This, this Tuchel is plays the, the most boring defensive football. This, I'm tired of seeing this. I mean, this, I, I would be curious if they were tweeting this when they were winning. I am curious yeah. on that because you can't win everyone. So this is, I was about to say the first sign of trouble. It's not even the first sign of trouble. It's a one-off draw with Bernie. You should have won. Exactly. But it's not the, it's not a crisis, is it? But the thing is, like a lot of these fan accounts are either Chelsea fans that, have, uh, I mean, it pains me to say it, but they could have been a Chelsea fan in 2007 and still be like a teenage age of actually being able to re- recollect the last five years or so. We haven't played great football since Conte, I don't think. We played I think the, the criticism is that you, you have these great players. And look, if I, if I was in your shoes right now, I've not seen my side win the trophies you've won the last few years. Oh, I get it. I, mean, I would. I don't know how I'd feel, to be honest. I, I get it, but like, there's only two managers in the world, Pep Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp. I can't think of many more that would be able to do the same job as them, especially with... Klopp with the limited funds that he's done it with when you look at net spend and how he's coached that team. Um, there's only two managers that do that. We are very attacking when we need to be, but we're also solid and defensive when we also need to be as well. And to go to go 45 minutes at Anfield with 10 men and not concede, I just think that's, that's incredible in its own way. I think that should be admired just as much as a team that goes out fully attacking. I might in my mind, anyway. Before um, we move on, do you think, and I was kind of just quoting, I only, only, I only saw a couple of tweets on Saturday and just wrote this down straight away just for a topic. Um, do you think if the football isn't entertaining, it gives you less scope for failure? If the points aren't coming in, and obviously I don't think that's happened anytime soon, do you think more pressure comes quickly if then the football isn't entertaining as well. I think that comes with the Chelsea manager's position, whether you're playing attacking or not. I think 
look at Frank. He is his, probably the most attacking manager we've had since Ancelotti. And look what happens. Um, I think he's coached a team tickle here. It's, it's, it's tricky because it's Chelsea fans. They, they talk about like Man United DNA and West Ham DNA and the West Ham way and all that kind of stuff. The Chelsea DNA is just to win by any means necessary. It doesn't matter how you yeah. Hang on. When did this DNA come in? Because the DNA is supposed to be there. and you, you weren't winning by any means for a long time. Well, I've been winning trophies since the mid-90s. I, I mean, it's 30 years now for you. I mean, I don't know. That's the generation. But what I would say what? is that it is literally a case of, if you go as far back as, say, 2000, probably the first trophy that I properly remember, or the 98 Cup winning Cup against Real Madrid, like, those were, that's, maybe not the one against Aston Villa and the FA Cup, but I look back at the 2012, and the 2012 Champions League meant more to me than last year's because of just the way we won it and the teams that we played to win it and just how we pissed so many people off. That's what Chelsea fans like. And I think I speak for a lot of people when I say that the more people we piss off with the way that we win, the better. We don't want to be... But why did you hate Why did you hate Conte then? Because I didn't hate Conte at all. I loved him in his first season. But when he didn't get back, fair enough, you can make the argument that he, he was rightly pissed off. Very fickle Chelsea, lot blimey. He downed tools after the January transfer window and didn't care. So... That was the issue with Conte, is he stopped caring. It wasn't the fact that we hated him or hated the start of play, because it served us so well the year before, that three at the back, and then I think it was 13 wins in the bounce. It was just unbelievable. We hated Sarri more than we hated any other manager, because he kept the and did tough. nothing with it so much. Because it was just dull. We would rather be sat behind but... the ball with Robert up top, booting it up to him, and see what he does with it, and nick in 1-0, and that would be more enjoyable than seeing his have the ball for the whole game and then draw nil nil. He's going to say something, TK. I was, I was going to say that it, you know you can pretty much see that if a manager plays boring football, that the pressure gets on him a bit quicker if the success dries up because that is what happens with Chelsea. Success does dry up, then it's actually not he's going to be. Oh well, we're still entertained. But I mean, look at look at your situation with Arteta though. A large amount of it has been. It's not just that we've been poor. Is that you're watching it and you're. Yeah, I imagine absolutely. bored out of your mind. I, am, yeah. I know it's somewhat different at Arsenal because you had Wenger in a in a memorable time period. Whereas, as I said, Chelsea's success has been under Jose and Conte. It hasn't been exactly like that. It's been a bit more um, conservative football. But I think, as Jack said, that is the that is sort of the club's DNA. I find it quite surprising that. I yeah, guess I shouldn't be surprised by any fans online, but I am I, surprised no, no. if they're saying this isn't our club. I thought I've, this is very much your club in. Well, Absolutely, you don't have to play the same way as anyone. Just to get the kind of facts straight on this as well, I mean, you, you're kind of comparing Tuchel to Conte and Jose. I'm not. I'm just. My question no, was but, essentially as to whether I, you would. I think they're not. They don't play as bad a football as you suggest, and not quite as good as Jack suggested. I think yeah, the truth I, is probably somewhere between these two perspectives. I think. I, I literally, if so, I don't come across as a madman that this may not affect that anyway. If anyone else searches too cool or too cool boring, there are thousands of tweets of these yeah, people saying this. I haven't made this up. You would. If you saw if you search Turkle great, you'd probably find just as many. It's Twitter. This is the yardstick. I'm just no, I'm just I guess out. I've not made this point this would up. be like, this is a genuine like I guess if I imagine this point would be if you type in clock boring, there probably won't be too many. I guess would be the I, I get what you I get what you're saying and I understand it. I think to compare or use 
Conte and Jose is, is the same style of play as Tuchel is a bit misguided in the sense that when we still had 65% of the ball, no, 75% of the ball yesterday. I think you were more excited than Jose first time round. Mm. For the neutral, it would be. And first time round, yeah, to be fair, first time round, first time round, Jose was a completely different proposition. People forget as well that before we got beat 5 3 at White Hart Lane on New Year's Day, um, during the second spell when we won the league, we were playing some brilliant football. We were like one of the top scorers, and all of a sudden, it was just like, right, no, fuck this. It's never happened again. Just went 1 0 FC. Well, um, but to well, compl- we- like, Tuchel still has all of the ball. He still wants to be able to play these ways. So- it's not fit. Let's not forget, he's less than 12 minutes in the job as well. Mm. And he's top of the league. So if people That's go, a long oh, time Chelsea to... job. <laughs> people say that, oh, he needs time to be able to bed him and get his style of play across and have his own players and things like that. And he's literally had one pre-season and we're seeing it now. And he's controlling pretty much every game. So he's just sharpen up in front of goal. I don't think there's any need to panic, really. It's because of the... It's because of the results, obviously, that I'm about to answer my own question here, but I do think some of the stuff you level at Sarri could also be leveled to Tuchel Ball. And I do watch some games where it's possession for the sake of possession. And this is more in the early Tuchel days where he was first getting across, right? where I think everybody was a little critical because of the way Frank had gone and because you'd been very conservative in those first few games he has. But there are still games where sometimes it's Chelsea are brilliant in the ball in terms of the way he's sitting in terms of keeping hold of it, but it ain't fantastic to watch I don't think there's anything wrong with that necessarily but the fact that Sarri essentially got hounded out for that reason I do think there are some comparisons there which I find Jack was saying this on the the early Tuchel games as well it's it's not unfounded I in Jack's shoes would feel the same way and I understand him back in Chelsea but I I agree with your points that you're making I'm just saying that I think we like TK said, I think we play better football than you're saying that we do, and we don't play as well as I think that we do, because I'm always going to have blue-tinted spectacles when it comes to Chelsea. I like watching you against the big teams, because I, I I do enjoy seeing that style of football when it's effective against someone like City. I think but... this, this is the thing, though. Like when we play the smaller teams, we play completely differently. That is very much a back five, and then try and push them in the wing-backs in the field when we need to. When we play against the lesser teams, it is very much back three, that is it. And you've got Reese and Ben Shilwell literally on the edge of the penalty box at the opposite end of the pitch, whipping balls in. I think if a couple more of those chances, if the three chances, the glaring ones that I'm going to say, Habits, when he was in the 60-yard box and got fizzed into him, Ross Bartley where he blazed over the bar when he was like seven yards out, and then... Callum Hudson-Odoi, who hit it straight at the keeper when he was literally on the penalty spot. Those go in. I'm not having this conversation. It's another 3-4-0 win, and away we go. I think we are just missing a £100 million striker and our £50 million when, back. When Lukaku's on, you don't create that as as many chances. We play in a different Because way. you're playing so, a different style of football. Yeah, I, I still think that Tickle's trying to find out the best way to play him. I think it doesn't need... He hasn't found it yet. He hasn't found Please. it by any chance, because... Half the games, it's fizz it into Lukaku, get him to hold it off and play off him. And then all of a sudden, we switch it to wing play and Lukaku's expecting it deep and he's not there. And it's all just a bit odd. Um, but as soon as that clicks, which, I mean, he's had two months of the season so far of being fully fit and back in the, t- in the team. So I think that'll come. I'll have to cut you off here because we've got plenty more to get into. Go for it, um, yeah. And if you... Draw nil nil with uh, Watford maybe in your next game. We'll uh, we'll rehash things. <laughs> um, 
so big conversation yesterday um, was about respect in football. And the, the question was whether Arsenal did anything wrong in their victory over Watford. Um, Watford players very unhappy with Arsenal um, for not giving the ball back after they put it out of play due to an injury to um, Ozan Tufan. Watford did get possession of the ball back, tried to clear it through um, Kutska, but didn't do so. Arsenal get the ball back and uh, Emil Smith-Rowe does what Emil Smith-Rowe does. Branieri said, we put up the ball, everybody expected the Arsenal players to give back the ball. Sissoko and Rose said, give the ball back to us because we put the ball out because there was an injured player. After that, it was very strange. Okay, there was a cross. Kiko kicked the ball out with the header. Saar takes the ball, and in my opinion, there was a big foul, and then nothing happened. Um, first thing to so is, if we do it regarding the Arsenal game, and then we'll do it in the grandest scheme of things. I don't think there was anything wrong with this, as I've just accused Jack of having blue tips. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, wow. Jack, uh, I'm shocked what? by this take. I'm shocked. Oh, I am shocked. <laughs> well, okay. I, Let him explain. Go on. So, if you go back to when we beat Spurs, Alex, I'll take you back there. I said I said the exact same thing that I'm saying now. Jaka was down for Spurs' goal. I had no issue with Spurs playing on because, and I say consistently, if the ref doesn't stop it, I think you should carry on. There is nothing I hate more in football than the kicking the ball out because of players mincing around on the floor. When he's not injured, he's just trying to break the game out. He was back up on his feet. Don't think there was anything wrong with playing on. Uh, Alex, tell me. So, 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 so you've, so you've just. The the thing is, though, they decided to kick the ball out and give you that respect, and you didn't reciprocate it. What an absolute bunch of scumbag players (laughs) to not (laughs) reciprocate it. And then, as well, the cheek of it as well. The the foul, the foul, the foul that happens immediately (laughs) afterwards as well, and up to the goal that's completely been glossed over as well. Honestly. What a joke! What a joke! Honestly, you cannot. I saw you. I saw. I saw you share. I saw you share a video clip of the uh, of the the goal, and earlier on it on on the gram. And I've got to say, you must be. You, you've got to be ashamed of yourself to share that. Honestly, <laughs> the cheek of it. The thing is, as well, the cheek of this. Because if it was the the cheek of this as well, because if it was the other way round, oh my word, would you be well, slating them? Example, you you said there. No, but it isn't because we because we we played on. We played on. This is a different scenario because Watford you? gave you that platform. Watford gave you that platform to be sportsman. Sportsman, you weren't. Why? Why do we have? You said they did us the honour of kicking the ball out. What? It's nothing to do with us. They kicked the ball out. Their own man's down. Their own man wasn't actually down. We're we're actually ruling out that Danny Rose didn't just try to pass it downfield and spoon it out of play. I did. We, I did see someone tweet that. That's not that. Danny, <laughs> Danny, Danny Rose. You can see him on match of the day two. They zoomed in on this. He's telling him. Stay down, stay down. The bloke's not injured. He's barely been touched. They've been kicking lumps out of us all game. And then they expect some sympathy because they're trying to break the game down even more. If the ref hasn't told you to kick it out, don't expect it back. We're attacking. Why would we give the ball back to them in that position? All they, all they were going to do if Danny Rose doesn't do that 
is hoof it straight back to us and we'll start another attack. They were filthy all game. Danny Rose could have had four bookings yesterday. And the referee was a disgrace. We carry on. We'll go past the Aubameyang penalty because I don't understand why our fourth best taker is taking penalties, but that's that's another thing for another day. Uh, there's no entitlement unless the ref stops the game to be giving the ball back. So I, I don't see any issue in that. And I, as I've said, compare it to the Spurs game, I didn't see any complaints after that as to Spurs should have kicked it out to allow for the player to uh, get some treatment. Grunich Jack is still out now, by the way. That Norwich player was up two, uh, that uh, Watford player was up two seconds later. There was nothing wrong with him. They're trying to break the game down and they had crossed wires. It wasn't even from that. They had the chance to clear it. The one, the one that uh, you're saying is a foul, I can see if, if the ref had given it, I wouldn't have complained. But it's two players running into each other. There's no... That happens all over, that happens all over the pitch. People are complaining about VAR. It's right in the referee's face. VAR's not going to overturn it because they can't say that the referee made a mistake. It's a lovely finish by Smith Rowe. I'd like to say I can't believe there's this much fuss about it, but I can. But I maintain nothing wrong with it. TK, you would have watched this back either last night or this morning. Interesting to see uh, how you feel about this. So I um, I'd obviously heard about some controversy around this, and I was uh, slightly outraged on behalf of Arsenal before having watched it because I have a hatred for the kick it out of someone's down thing because so often they're not down for a good reason. And as it's now actually in the rule, only kick it out for a head injury, I have no idea why we continue to do it, but everyone seems to, and it blows my mind. Having then watched it, you should have given them the ball back. <laughs> you should have given them the back. Because I only say it because he'd won the ball, obviously in a in a position of his own left left back position in the own pitch and then put it out your point about he was probably going to I'm give it back to you fair but in which case what you should have it back on the halfway line not in a, an attacking position so I do think it's stupid on his part to put it out I don't think you should but once he's done it I think it's somewhat incumbent point to do it and I think this talk of like respect and honour is a load of bollocks by the way absolutely nothing to do with it and that that kind of masks this whole argument because there's no such thing in football so forget about that immediately Total bollocks. Arsenal weren't disrespectful in what they did. I thought they should have done it, but it's incumbent upon the ref to make it. And the fact that he oh. didn't and let it carry on, then it's fair game. So in, in Arsenal's shoes, they did what they should have done if the ref didn't make them. I, th- I think they should have given them back. But if it's, if it's my team who does it, I don't really care. It's on the ref to, to make this decision. And Watford shouldn't, be so, Watford shouldn't be so naive either, by the way. That lad, if he's going to go down... You either you get up and help your team out or you stay on the deck. You don't do one in, in between. I see players do it all the time. It kills me. He was naive. Rose is naive. And then when they have the ball, get fucking rid of it. There was a foul yeah. afterwards from that guy. But another player ends up with the ball and he just gives it away straight away. So as much as, like I said, ultimately, I, I do think you probably should have because of the, how this came about. But I don't have the, a huge problem. With it. It's on the refs. They should do something. Yeah, I, I, um, oh, sorry. Arteta said... He spoke to the media after and he said, I have to defend my players, my team and my club. We're the most honest of all of them. Even at some stages, we could almost we can almost become naive. I saw this. I saw this. You're being a bit too honest there. So I saw this mentioned on Match of the Day and I would have have said it before. 
in previous situations, we've been called soft. We've been called pusher. We've been told that we don't know this side of the game that you're supposed to know about. Is this, is this not what, what we should be doing? We're chasing, we're chasing three points. We've seen uh, United drop points a day before. It's feeling like one of those days when it comes to uh, like the penalty near the offside and all of this. Jack is someone that, I mean, we've just spoken a minute ago there about winning by any means, shit out in all of this. Is this is this not what we're supposed to be doing? A hundred percent. One million percent. I mean, football purist than me just looks at yeah. that and thinks, this is brilliant. Because exactly what TK said, he's gone down, faked it, Danny Rose put the ball out because he's under pressure there. If he was had the ball at his back at the back and there's no player within like five meters of him and he's rolled it out into touch, then yeah, fair enough. But he's looked up, seen him on the deck, saw it as an excuse and realised that there was three Arsenal players around him on the press. He thought, well, if I try and clear this up top, he's on the he's on the deck. There's going to be no one that's going to come straight back at us. I'm going to put this out and they're going to have to give us the ball back and we just reset. No, Danny Rose, that's not what happens. And you did exactly the right thing. The only thing I can have a problem with is the fact that I think it probably was a foul <laughs> on the player on the rebound. Yeah, however, it definitely was, wasn't it? However, it's not debilitating. It was a it was a coming together. Get straight back up, out your team, and you may be able to push Emerald Smith Rowe a bit wider because you actually be, if you actually look at it, his midfielder partner comes across to cover where he's led down, gets pulled out of position, creates the pocket for Smith Rowe to shoot in. And if he hadn't rolled around on the floor like a fanny, then he would probably be able to get it up and help his team. That goal may not have been scored. No, he actually did stay down. He did what the other he did that, what the other fellow was supposed that, to do. He was still no, down. <laughs> <laughs> but to stay he's still down, down now. To stay down in the open play just in front of your own box, I just think that's pathetic. I genuinely yeah, think... There's got to be something I, seriously wrong, hasn't there? Because yeah. otherwise you've let them down. Exactly. I am glad that Arsenal scored that goal because it just proved them right. I remember, actually, Chelsea versus Arsenal. It's going back four, maybe even six years. Koscielny had the ball. Um, he'd given away a free kick and he rolled it back to Frank Lampard and turned his back on the ball to complain to the ref. Frank Lampard did it first time straight to his jogger and he scored and Gary Neville lambasted Arsenal for being weak, naive you're a Premier League footballer, you shouldn't be doing that, you should have your wits about you this is exactly what they wanted, this is what people should be doing, I'm really glad it's probably the only time you're going to find me this happy that Arsenal scores well, um, The way that the Premier League is supposedly doing this thing as well, aren't they where they're like, we, we, we want the game slowing down less, this and that and the, the thing with um, what Alex is saying, and look, if it was Spurs, I, I don't know how I would approach the situation. But um, I can have a guess. But I've been fairly consistent yeah, it's true. In, in this. Even when I'm at the games and I see one of our players staying down, it irritates the hell out of me. It kills me. Oh. Especially, as, as you said, when they get up almost immediately. And I don't know if he's just being an idiot there, but it's almost like it's riling you up at that stage because when they go out and they stand up straight away, it's almost spitting in your face because we're going to then give them the ball back and if they go straight down the other end and score, we're probably going to get criticised by the same people for saying, why do you think give the ball back to them then? You were supposed to be the one in possession. It's funny as well it's when similar. you see players do that where they get up and then they do that wince and that limp jog for about three <laughs> steps. And after three steps, their injuries miraculously disappeared. 
especially if someone actually gives them the ball back as they've got up and they realise, yeah, oh, guys, you have to do something here. <laughs> the best one be awful for that because he, he, he'd run on the pitch back into play <laughs> to pick the ball back up. The best ones are when the player's down injured and they get the ball kicked at them or something and they spring yeah. back up. But yeah, angry. Their faces. Danny, Danny Rose yesterday, if Aubameyang wasn't on the pitch, would have been as bad as I've seen a player play in quite some time. When you're scrapping yeah, at the bottom done. like they are, the clothesline he puts in on Lacazette to give away the penalty is insane because there's there's no argument that can be made there. And I still he tried, didn't he? Man. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. I couldn't believe it, having the brass neck to go, and that's not a pen. What was he thinking? If Ainsley's on the pitch and you've got a penalty, not giving it to him it should be a criminal offence. That is. Nice to see him get mad in a match, actually. Uh, yesterday, he was pretty good. Um, Aubameyang yesterday missed a penalty. He missed, well, he miscontrolled the ball in which Saka then puts him when he's offside. Erdogan had a shot going in, and it was like watching myself play Wembley because <laughs> it couldn't have been more on the line, and Aubameyang pokes it in. I've tries seen to you... celebrate in turns and sees the flag. Oh, I've God. seen you score one of those as well. Remember it? It's, it no offsides <laughs> in Wembley, though, isn't it? That's, that's, that's the Fabian doesn't have that luxury. Um, I think you gave yeah. the Adam Shearer as well. Yeah, absolutely. It, it took it to Churchdown afterwards as well. But it, it's horrific that <laughs> Aubameyang was able to do that. Somehow Danny Rose um, just made it worse. They yesterday did the thing which you see City do where it's almost like you've drawn up a rotor of fouling. And I'm saying it's kind of the only team that does it, but a lot of teams do it, particularly at that end of the table, where you do it enough so the ref looks at you and is like, well, he's only done one. He's only done yeah. one. We yeah. somehow ended up with more bookings than Watford yesterday. And we we conceded less than a third of the fouls that they did. The red card, I don't know if you've seen it for um, Kutska. I actually thought it was harsh at first because I thought he took the ball. Second time around, you, you, you see he takes no ball. And Ranieri says he shouldn't be sent off because he did try and make a tackle. <laughs> he, his interview yesterday was like, which Harry Potter was it? Was it Chamber of Secrets where their voices are breaking throughout the whole film and you can hear it yeah. up and down? His, his voice in that is like a Mario-like caricature. It's <laughs> in the, the levels his voice is going to, talking about respect, Honestly, I used to feel bad that he was sat by Chelsea. No sympathy <laughs> these days. I hold a grudge in football, and he's on my bad list now. He's on there with Phil Brown. <laughs> <laughs> we don't talk about Phil Brown. But <laughs> I can. The, the kicking it out is the bit where there's makes it somewhat contentious. But I think be angry at your own man more than you're angry at us for uh, doing it. And even then, it, it muddies it a bit more by the fact it's not even immediately from it. They do have the chance to clear it. And then... If you touch the ball twice, like after contentious throw-in, then it's your own fault. It's poor They've still got their hands point, up in it? the area, haven't they? It's like, get on with the game. We've literally oh, you, got a bar. Like, you'd be pulling your hair out if there's something else. Particularly at that end of the table, I'm, I'd like to say no team can really afford to lose three points. I mean, as you said, they're, Chelsea losing two points isn't the end of the world. Watford Point in a gained. game where, yeah, where they had enough, t- they had enough chances to get a point yesterday. They they ought to really be kicking themselves. Um, it's a lot nicer pod as well, knowing that 
the the one mistake Aaron Ramsdale's made didn't result in a goal. Um, <laughs> because I, there was a lot of people waiting for that because I saw immediately <laughs> this Ramsdale guy, I told you he's a liability and they didn't even score. <laughs> That's some nerve after the week he's had before. <laughs> oh, no. Um, another clean sheet for Gabrielle and Ben White, and uh, we move on above United in the table and uh, four points above Spurs now. Um, we'll talk about Spurs now, Alex. Um, obviously, you no-showed us last week. Um, no good reason, but we'll carry on. The big thing we referenced last week was the length of the contract here and Obviously, we can't see into the future to know if this gets extended down the line. But with a less than two-year deal signed, the big question here is how long does Conte have to get it right? And I'm going to be a bit harsh here, but, and you may think the same after what I said about Chelsea. Um, 3-2 in the uh, Conference League in the week. Um, 0-0 against Everton this weekend without a single shot on target. How quickly are you expecting results from Conte? Because you may have wasted that new manager bounce now with the international break coming in. I don't know what you're expecting and how quick you're expecting something to happen. Um, I am disappointed we didn't win again at the weekend. I expected us to. Um, To put an exact date on how long he's got, I think he's got the rest of the season. Um, And... And that's it. I think if we gets to the end of the season, he doesn't get some form of result based on how our year's gone so far. Um, like I'm saying, at the least, we're talking a he's got to go on at least a bit of a cup run and finish in European football, um, Europa at the least. Um, I think if he achieves if he if he achieves that, I think he'll keep his job. But it's also I the nature. Of, of, about sacking him, not even mentioning sacking him. But you're Yeah, he's got he's got half. He's got he's got the remainder of the season to get it right. Is what I is is what I think. I think he'll have until the end of the year. Um, and if he's not, if it's not looking like it's if it's looking like a Mourinho Mark two. I think they'll look to replace him in the summer. They're not sucking Conte I mean, in the summer. You've got with Maya Jammer and she's not cooking you a nice roast on a Sunday, so you're going to dump it. I, I can't I can't get my head around it. What's yeah, going on? I, I wasn't even floating that in the in the question. Alex, your mic is very low, by the way. I don't know what's what's going on here. Uh, it's not like new. It's not new. Yeah, it's the same old phones. You know what they're like. TKM, um, we're not even mentioning Conte being sacked here, are we? It's just a case of I think You've if you want to see how, how quickly well, are you going to see a difference is, is what yeah. you're probably looking for. I I was saying to uh, Sean once we were away, I think that you you got to give him the summer transfer window. If you, if you are going to commit, and this is where the, the length of the deal is a, a real, the only bit of the content deal I think Spurs haven't got right. I can't quite get my head around it. But I think you've got to give him the summer transfer window. I'm not saying you're going to give him a quote-unquote war chest because Spurs probably won't. But give him some resources to change the team enough and he'll have had enough time then as well to get his methods across. And I think by the start of next season, if you're starting to see some change, then that's when we'll know whether this is going to have any sort of success or not. By the first, probably, if you look at the first 10 games of next year, which is maybe a bit of a depressing thing for Spurs fans that they're going to have to wait that long, but that's the way it is. Do you not think... I'm just, uh, scared, I'm just scared, all right, that this is going to be Mourinho Mark II, all right? I'm just really scared. I don't think you can do more damage than Jose, so you'll be all right. 
Tuchel just across London has shown that with the right coaching, and I know the squads are vastly different, but that's a better squad than what Spurs are showing. That yeah. you 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 can get results quickly if you get everyone buying into your football, and you have the right staff there that you can get results. And I I think if your Spurs, you're disappointed if it's taken until next season. I mean, I would say I would say January. I want to be starting to see something because with the length. Oh, of I, the deal, I think you'll see an improvement because they can't get any worse than they are. So I think they'll be a bit better. But in terms of if you want to see the content that they think they're getting, the team they think they're going to get under him, I don't think you'll see it for a, a good while yet. Is the length of deal not asking for you to get something this season though as well? Yeah, but I, I think that would be an improvement insofar as they probably will come at some sort of European place, I would imagine. Not much Champions League, for God, no. But I think they'll well, probably get that. being counted when he took over. What, he hit Champions League? That he should be compete. That top four should be the aim. I mean, yeah, I mean, be the aim, and then accept that we're probably going to fall a little bit short of that because that's, that's definitely what's going to happen. But uh, I, I say this, maybe the fourth spot could be up for grabs if they can go on a run. But I, I just think there's they've been so pedestrian in these games that he'll get he'll get some sort of improvement prior to that. But I think there's got to be a, a, a bit of a cap on expectations of what he's going to do. God. I don't know how you feel in, in Nuno's shoes here, and I, and I know they're different levels of manager, but if you saw Kane's interview after the game on Thursday, and he's talking about, we've got a manager now that we want to go out there and put our bodies on the line for, uh, we're all really buying into this. It does go with what we've said about uh, how they thought of Nuno previously, but I don't like that from my team. If If you're essentially admitting there that we didn't feel it with the last guy, so well, maybe we'll give it a crack with this one. It's, that would think, suggest that you're going to get the results a lot quicker because clearly they're holding something back. I think it's, it's it's tricky, isn't it? Because Spurs have this amazing stadium and these decent players and they think they, there's something that they're <laughs> not. Disrespectful. It's like this... It's like this um, <laughs> It's it's like entitlement. It's almost like what Newcastle fans have. Really. What are you? What on earth are yeah. you on about? I don't know. No bloody entitlement in this squad whatsoever. Maybe amongst few of the players, but I can't think of a single Spurs fan who think they're entitled to win a title. They want to win. There's no entitlement there. You've not let him say what he's saying. It's not what I'm referring to. What I'm referring to is Harry Kane now saying that he's ready to put his point like that he's known for probably about six days. Where he was less Nuno... than that. He was appointed Monday, wasn't he? And yeah. the game was Thursday. They've had they've had Nuno... holiday romance with an Italian. Come on, give yeah. me a break. <laughs> they had Nuno come in who managed Wolves, who probably played better football than Spurs did for a while, especially under Jose. Two didn't seasons fa- ago, maybe. Yeah, didn't didn't mm. fancy him because he wasn't a star name. We go and get a Premier League winner in, and now it's all of a sudden it's like. Right, let's try again, boys. We've got the manager that we think we feel we deserve. When, I mean, don't get me wrong. I think Nuno's tactics were, if if they were anything like what the team played like, they were awful. But they have this like entitlement that right, you've got a Premier League winner in. You should be absolutely busting a gut, regardless of who he is, because you've been playing shit. You've been playing awful football. There's no 
Yeah, yeah, but in, in fairness to Nuno, in fairness, in fairness to the the players with Nuno, I think there was a general, a general feeling that he wasn't the number one guy that the club wanted. So already yeah. Nuno's on the back foot. That, I mean, yeah, yeah. those players, those players. Yeah, that's what I'm, talk, I'm talking about. Some I'm of these talk- players aren't good enough where they can say, "Oh yeah, we'll put it on the back burner for the next bloke." Especially when there's, there's an argument that they maybe by the end of each of their roles they've down tools on three managers now. Yeah. Some right, of these your brain here, because from memory, and this is where you'll need to correct me, Conte wasn't there for the start of pre-season when he took over, was he? I seem to remember him coming in mid to late in pre-season. What? When he took over at Chelsea? Yeah. Because no, we, we've spoken about this before and we said the game when Conte seemed to click was after we beat you at the Emirates, which was I'm, September. I'm pretty certain that he came in, if not at the very start, but halfway okay. through the season, because before was a season with Josie and then Gus Hiddink took the reins and then we basically parted ways with Gus because he was just a caretaker and then got a new manager in straight away. Okay, well, 24th of September. You said dread that. <laughs> used to dread hitting coming to Chelsea. I was like, don't, we don't need this. <laughs> Thank you. So that was fairly early into the season that he kind of found what he wanted to do. It was literally the game after that, you went to three at the back yeah. and then it was like a new team. So Conte is well aware he's not having pre-season. So what, you're probably giving him a month to start seeing an improvement? Yeah, I would say so. I mean... We're not asking them to be top of the league, are we? But like, no. we've got to be doing something. No, I think, like TK said, they've been so abject and so poor so far this season that any improvement, like, I considered a nil-nil with Everton yesterday as an improvement, but that, from what I've seen, from what I've seen recently, it was kind of like, I looked at it and I thought, if there's one team that you want to play on a bad run, it's Everton and Tottenham, so it's like, ah, they're both playing each other, what's going to happen (laughs) Two games in a row without a shot on goal now. Yeah, I saw something horrific. Like it was, they registered, I think, gone over three hours without a shot on target or something stupid. I feel like the woodwork, hitting the woodwork, work if that counts. It doesn't. Yeah. Try asking that lad out of bet last season where oh. I was arguing it with a bookie. <laughs> oh, that was miserable. Pickford, oh. Pickford was giving himself a wedgie into the camera because he was that bored in goal. And yeah. this is one of them where I didn't want to see it, but I saw it when I looked at my timeline yesterday. To entertain himself. I mean, just posting his shorts up. Ballsy from a guy who's got a mistake in him, uh, potentially have one shot and could, you know, could concede it. That, that could be just ballsy. Yeah, so Alex, after the international break, then you, you, you're going to need to see results picking up fairly swiftly. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, otherwise we're going to, we need, we need a certain, we, we, we do a run of games of some decent performances. Uh, just to sort of get us, because if you look at the table at the moment, you know, if we sort of maintain a run similar to what we have been on in the last few games, we're going to fall away from European football very, very quickly or contention for European football very, very quickly. So because there's a lot of teams that that are currently above us in the table that now look pretty solid that, you know, obviously we spoke, we spoke a bit about West Ham before. I mean, nothing's nothing's telling me that they're going to drop out of it, like 
European football spots, Europa League and Champions League. They look pretty damn good at the moment. Um, Tuchel Conte might be a game where you, you draw the curtains if it's in your back garden. That could be a brutal <laughs> watch. Um, but we'll, we'll, we'll see how it goes when we get there. So West Ham defeated Liverpool at the London Stadium yesterday. Um, a nice gift for TK to see as he uh, got off the plane. Um, kind of a two-parter here. We'll talk about the game and uh, West Ham in general. If we start with the game, um, TK, I will ask you just uh, straight up, is Jurgen Klopp right to be angry with the referee? Um, this could You could play this on any week and I could ask you this, but for this week in particular, <laughs> is Klopp right to be right, right to be angry with the referee on this occasion? Uh, I don't really see it. I'll be honest. Um, I didn't see that as a foul on the goalie. I, I thought he was close in terms of he puts that arm up, which maybe makes it some more contention. But I, I don't think so. I've, as a general rule, and this flies in the face of Jack's arguments on these things, but I do think goalkeepers are a bit overprotected. If the player's just going up for a header like that. Even if I, I can see Jack's point that it's tricky for a goalkeeper who's going up and going in harm's way, I, I don't think this is a foul. And uh, the the Creswell one, the the challenge, I know Klopp mentioned that as well. I think he should have got a card for it just because of the strength of the challenge, but I don't think that's a red. He, he said the referees are now cowards that hide behind VAR. I, just, I mean, as a wider point, that's probably true, but I don't think this was an example of it. In in real time, it didn't seem like a bad tackle. It no. it felt like a hard tackle. Really, I've I've watching that thinking that looks like one where a ref will panic and give a red immediately so, and then think about it later. The commentators um I never liked the follow through ones as a red, so I don't I don't have an argument with that. I think it's got to be really bad for it to it be a red. I don't, I don't think it was that bad he, at all. Do you think he do you think he just lost his balance? Yeah, but and also the flip side of that is that, you know, when they go, oh, it's just a bit out of control. Well, that can be a red as well. But this wasn't, I don't think. I've, I've, I've looked at it and I saw, obviously, the reds in the Everton-Spurs game and this one in comparison to being drawn. Like, the one in the Everton-Spurs game, he plants his studs on the guy's thigh. Like, it's completely different. Whereas this one, he's he's gone through to get the ball and his foot's bounced off the top of the ball. And if there was contact, I mean, I didn't know there was a lot, but if there was, a slight nick on his the inside of his calf, it wasn't like... I think there was a double contact, it wasn't. I think he basically goes from one part of his leg up the other just because of the momentum of him. Yeah, but there, he, there is. But regardless. But like what was being cited in the still that's being sent around everywhere is how high his leg was. That looks like, worse, yeah. Was yeah, which is always going to look bad. And as is still, like it actually wasn't that much contact. Now, I know there's obviously intent, but... I think Varv looked at that and said, right, his foot bounced off the top of the ball. There's literally nothing he could have done with that. Whereas the Everton one, uh, was it Holgate who did it? I can't remember. Uh, yeah, I think it was. Yeah. Where he, he came through the ball, kicked it, and then he planted his full stud straight into the thigh. Now, again, follow one, three ones are quite contentious, but that one is definitely, you would probably put in the redder half of the incidents. Whereas the Creswell one, I just think it was not meant to be that at all because his foot bounced off the top and there wasn't that much contact. We saw think... that Van Dijk handball against Napoli a couple of years back, what a still photo can do. Where <laughs> everyone was saying, how was he not sent off for this handball? And I just saw the <laughs> clip and it was nowhere near his hand. I always um, 
I always think that VAR are listening to the commentary for some reason. And when Jamie Carragher's on comms, he goes, oh, I think he could be in trouble here. I saw someone say when, when Neville doesn't know, you know it's serious. Yeah. <laughs> when Gary Neville doesn't know, what's happening? You didn't have that was... at the first instance of the tackle. That was when the replay was Hendo was down. When the tackle initially happened, commentary weren't too concerned by it. Hmm. I, I don't want to I... give it the uh, he's an honest player, but I do think people saw Henderson being down and probably looked at it more closely than they would, I'll say, definitely if Salah was down, for example. I think Creswell's helped as well, and it feels like a boo-hoo Arsenal kind of thing, but I think if that's Granite Xhaka that puts that tackle in, you always look at it differently because the player has a reputation. If they're oh, yeah. Yeah. tackling, you probably yeah. look at it differently. It's We don't see Creswell because we don't really have a, a reputation surrounding him. The Henderson thing, as you said, the fact that he's down is bad, but then he, before they finish making the VAR decision, he's up, isn't it? Yeah, so maybe there's some helping hand there. But I, think, I, I don't think, think there's enough there to go back. The start of the season, about the whole, that we want these hard tackles coming back in, because this is the big Premier League. Do you think that was one of them where they were really put on the spot to say, right, let's see how you feel about this then. So lay down a marker there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it could that's be. One, it, it felt, the, the, when you saw it in slow motion, it did look particularly bad. But And last year, they probably, they potentially do go back and, and change it up to a red. You are right. So, I, I, I don't, yeah, I don't mind. If that's a wider trend, I don't really, I don't really mind that, to be honest. No, we'll say this until the first big injury, won't we? And then, then that, whatever manager that is, especially this club, will uh, will go berserk. I'm sure. I but, t- if if that happened on Emil Smith Row, I'm screaming now that it should be a red. <laughs> and I can I yeah. can I can tell you honestly with that. I think everyone that wasn't a Liverpool fan, you if you'd searched Twitter at the time, you'd have seen uh, common sense prevails. Uh, thank God someone isn't sent off for taking the ball. All of these kind of things were kind of... Where, if it had been their own team, obviously, it would have been a, a scandal. Yeah, with Liverpool and, fans sprinkled in, like, I don't understand how this guy's still on the pitch. Yeah, yeah, and it's always loaded, isn't it, with a, a Liverpool one or a United one or something, where it, it is, there's no getting around it. It's in everyone's interest that the other team doesn't get a red. And it's in Liverpool fans' interest that he does. And so the actual a genuine objective argument is kind of hard to find because <laughs> people normally was- have a, a sway one way or the other. Kind of as simple as you can't argue if he's off. And it's yeah. easy to pop out when you say that, but I thought it was one of them where if he is sent here, I don't think I can really go on tomorrow and say that shouldn't have been a red. No, and, and as ever with this, the problem is it would have been. <laughs> there would have been, there are people, Liverpool fans probably outraged that he wasn't sent off and there would have been fans furious that he was. And the truth is, like you said, it's, it's probably enough of an argument, but I thought they probably just about got it right on the balance of it. Yeah, because the foul on Allison is one that Klopp seems to be just as angry about, or not non-foul on Allison. I think something that he would have flipped his lid if he had it mentioned at the time. If you remember last season, I believe it was uh, Firmino challenges De Gea in the air um, and then taps it in uh, about two seconds later, and the goal's ruled out for a challenge on the goalkeeper. Yep. I don't think that was too dissimilar here. I don't know if it's the fact that Todd Bonner, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. He's jumping just completely straight up. He's not arced his jump. He's straight up. There's no real argument that he's challenging for the ball. 
rather than looking around and looking at the keeper three, four, five times. I think to come back to what Zika said, it's right. Keepers, you can say, are protected in a sense. In other ways, it's um, deemed dangerous. This one, he's jumped straight up in the air and Alisson's the aggressor. If, if anything, where he, Alisson's gone into the back of him to try and get the ball and just fallen over. So I don't think it was a foul at all. I think like, players within their right to hold their ground, they're just not allowed to do it if they're going to run straight and directly into a keeper when he's trying to catch the ball. That ball was never there for the catching. That was there to try and just get something like that to deflect it away from goal. And like you said, Ogbonna didn't even know the keeper was there, I don't think. I thought um, it was it was like um, De Gea in his very early United days of Alisson there, where he uh, basically couldn't command the situation, but still tried to. Yeah. And you're never going to do that. You're always going to get bullied by the player who's jumping. He's got to run and jump. And a bit surprising for him to have that sort of lapse in decision-making, but he had a shock of the day, didn't he? So. I wrote down, as the game was going on, and I was going to mention this to you today, that Alisson, I've never seen him have an all-right game. When he has a bad game, it's like he completely purges his system. It all unravels and, very quickly, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, this, this reminded me, it was Man City, wasn't it, last year, where he had like yeah, the, yeah. the bad game of all bad games. <laughs> and th- this this was one of them. I mean, all, all three, there's an argument that he should at least do better on them if, he, if he's not saving them. Mm. Um, and West Ham, for all that we say about how they are on set pieces, I think the last thing you needed to do early on in the game was give them an inkling that you were there to be got at. And yeah, you I see did. that. We'd have that with, you used to have that with big teams all the time, isn't it? The, the lesser team and West Ham aren't really that in this situation, but they just need a sniff just to say, right, we're on to you now because you don't like it. Yeah, it completely set the tone. They had obviously had a good crowd in who were up for it anyway, and then an early goal like that only adds to it. Um, as, a, as the team who's going away there, you've got to try and kill their hopes early. And we didn't just give them a bit of hope, I thought we gave them a, a lot. I think yeah. they were just smelling blood early on. I was listening to a podcast with uh, David Seaman recently and he was talk- he's doing some work at Arsenal at the moment and he was asked about Ramsdale and his previous uh, seasons and that kind of thing. And he said the ability or even like just have a strong mentality as a keeper, but the ability to be, be able to clear your mind during a game after you've made a mistake, whether it's a missed kick, whether it's a, you fumble the ball, not caught it, whatever, is almost as important as your diving or you catch it as a keeper. He said, so many keepers, they make one error, whether it leads to a goal or not, and they feel they really have to make a big catch for the next one. Yeah. Or the yeah. next kick has to go further than the one before. And I don't know if that's that's it with Alisson or it, it was just a bad day, but I don't know if he felt he had a point to prove after the early one because he never got it back. And he just looked like a man that was just scrambled then for the rest of the game. Yeah, it's, it's a good point. The fact that we had a... I mean, let's face it, he's had a 95% good games. But like you say, with the, the 5% yeah. that are bad do look particularly bad, suggests it could be a mentality thing of him where that when that day, that bad day comes, it... It lasts. I thought the odd, the more odd thing about this one was that often when he has a bad game, it's to do with the ball at his feet. You normally give away yeah. one. You think he's, he's absolutely terrifying me here. I, I think he's um, he's benefited hugely from being well, obviously one of very good goalkeeper, but also Brazilian. It seems to be in people's minds that Edison's obviously the the 
gold standard for distribution. And I've seen some sort of like saying Allison's like the next guy. And I'm like, I, I don't think he's anywhere near with the ball at his feet. He terrifies me at times. He, he can be quite good at others, but at other times it's it's almost like a bit of knowledge is dangerous because he can do a good pass every now and again. He starts thinking he's a, he's a player. Um, but that wasn't really the case against West Ham. There was other things, there were decision-making issues and uh, and kind of that first one, there's a bit of physicality involved there as well where he just kind of wasn't yeah. even ready to, to get out there. So um, in, in that sense, I'll treat it as a one-off. In terms of, I've not seen too many performances like that from him. But the, the way we're playing at the minute, in terms of how open we are, we're probably going to be putting him under a lot more pressure than he's used to as well. West Ham, I thought, did really well in, in that they stayed in the game. And Moyes said before the game, and I'm sure it was as much to hype his players up, that he couldn't go out there and outplay Liverpool. And he said he, his squad doesn't have the capability to do that. But they did enough in there. They They were really well drilled. That, by the way, is one of those things where a manager's getting away with that when they're playing well. Because imagine, Moyes has had a few quotes like that, hasn't he, where you say, why the hell are you saying that about your team? I mean, he I must remember, know it was enough. But he, I remember what, what job it was. Either, was it his first time? It might have been, I think it might have been his first game at Sunderland. Where basically he said, we're in a relegation <laughs> fight. It's like, yeah. it's the first game of the season. What do you mean we're in a relegation fight? That's a wrong message sense, but in the, when you're playing like West Ham are at the minute, he could, he could probably go into his presser and say what he wants. Supposedly at Sunderland, he, he told he, he told his mates, you're about to see one of the worst teams in Premier League history. I did see that too. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good message. This, they looked like, um, whether it was, they knew that um, Trent would be forward more because every diagonal ball they did was straight down Trent's side to Antonio. Um, and I think it was as much a sense of go the opposite side to Van Dijk. Um, but they weren't trying to do much with their technical players until they're on the edge of the area. And I said this about Pepe a couple of weeks back, where if they're on the edge of our area, there's no one I want more on the ball, but I don't want to see you on the halfway line. And they, they didn't mess about with Ben Rama and Fornells and that kind of thing anywhere until they were in the final third where they obviously felt that they could get at you. And obviously the game worked really well and Trent's probably fuming that we aren't speaking about a great free kick for him. Yeah, it's about time he hit one. He was due one. Um, they said on the, commentary, like right as he hit it, that, that he hadn't scored uh, in a while and he's due a goal. <laughs> yeah, I stand fan you if I think, don't say that. <laughs> the... Uh, I, I thought one of the things that probably hasn't been talked a lot about this West Ham team um, because of but look, look, tactically he got the game right and, and people are playing well anyway but I think one of the things you could accuse West Ham teams previously probably when that Trent goal goes in the head, heads go down and then we are all over them in the second half and that wasn't really how it obviously isn't how it played out so there's a a strength to them mentally that I think it's probably is a big reason why they're so good. And they've got some good characters in there, people like Antonio and Rice. You do back to sort of stand up if things get tough. Whereas I think West Ham teams of the past, it's you can you can if you get a goal against them, they can fold quite quickly. Rice was very good again yesterday, and I mean there's a whole other conversation that can be had on this, but Moyes was almost uh, I think he said it tongue in cheek, but he was laughed at a bit when he said clubs missed out this summer because 100 million for Declan Rice was an absolute bargain this summer. 
and the more you the more you see him week in week out, and the more these prices are rising for other players, might not be that far wrong because the price he is going to go for plus is going to be insane when he does. The, there's also enough demand for it. You could see Chelsea at some point wanting to do it if they wanted to get rid of move either Kante or Jorginho on. You'd back, rise to be the next guy for them. United obviously need a central midfielder. He, upon reflection, would have been a better signing than Sancho, for example. I'm not even upon reflection. I think we were suggesting this in the summer, yeah. but there's a there's a there's a market for him where it's not like a situation where. Like Kane, it was City or Bust, wasn't it? It wasn't like there's was a queue of people yeah. ready to spend this money on him. Chelsea are going to send Kante into the sunset and have Declan Rice step straight in, and it's going to be horrific. <laughs> and we're going to see yeah. these shite TikToks of... Did you know that him and Mason Mount are the best mates? It is a shame, because yeah. Rice is fairly likeable at the minute, but that's, that's going straight out the window once he pulls that Chelsea blue on. Yeah, and as much as... Uh, I don't think West Ham fans would like to hear it. I think from what we see, it's pretty clear that he quite likes to be there as well. Um, That's going to hurt that one because he's obviously got a relationship with the fans and he does seem, well, as well as a great bloke, he does seem when they win that he loves it and he embraces it and shares it with the fans. I always gonna be, That's going to be tough when they lose him. Yeah, yeah, agreed. That's going to be you tough back, if he does go. The Athletic reported that one of the main sticking points and one of the things that really kind of lost Frank's trust within the directors was that he really wanted Declan Rice and they were saying, why the hell do you want to spend so much on this kid? He's been on the right side of that one, that argument, it looks yeah. like. I, I think, I think we on the pod said, million. we on the pod said, I'm not sure about that. And I know, I know yeah, Jack yeah, wasn't sure of it either. Um, but he, he has gone from, <laughs> he's gone from strength to strength, hasn't he though, from a player. Yeah. It's not like, it's not like we were outrageous for saying, that looks a bit no. steep at the time. It, it looked crazy. I think, like, the reason why I was on the fence was purely because we have Kante that would play that yeah, role. Yeah. I would arguably say he plays it better. Um, and then what we would need in midfield next to him, because we play against so many packed defences, is it's a more ball-playing midfield. Yeah. Whereas when you're West Ham and you're playing in Liverpool, there's going to be so much more space. And when you play teams in and around West Ham in, like, the middle of the Premier League table... They're not going to be so packed defensively, so he's always going to look good. Whereas if you put Declan Rice in a midfield with James Ward-Prowse Ringling against like Estonia or San Marino, where they've got like 11 men behind the ball, it does look very defensive. And he's got—he's brilliant if he's got space to run into and space to operate. Mm. But he looks a bit less polished when he's come up against the two banks of four and a goalkeeper. If you offer me Rice or Kante for a game tomorrow. I wouldn't like to say what I'd rather have in there. I mean, Kante is coming towards the end of his peak, I would say, because he's just injured all the time now. But, I mean, he's... It is no one like him in the world. He is just that good on his yeah. way. Yeah, definitely maybe. Yeah, in a one-off game, you're still rolling with Kante, but look, it's, that, bearing in mind, uh, we had some West Ham fans come on here and suggest that Rice was better than everyone, including Kante, and we were laughing at the time. That's, uh, things have changed yeah. very quickly, the fact that you're yeah, even considering I, it. I messaged um, Connor just as the game was starting yesterday, and I said, it may even have been just as West Ham went 1-0 up, and I said, I was about to ask if, if you wanted to jump on tomorrow, regardless of the score. He clearly wasn't that confident. 
Um, he's oh, I'm busy, busy tomorrow, and I don't think we're going to get the win anyway. Messaged him straight after. You sure you don't want to come on tomorrow? What time are you doing it? <laughs> so the, oh, it said he messaged on his way home, but I said it might be a bit late. Didn't think we'd be doing West Ham um, at this time. But you, you referenced previously, TK, that the fact that for a long time they didn't look like there was a player in four now, certainly not a Premier League standard that we were expecting. He just looks like he's getting better and better as well. Yeah, he, you know, when they signed him before, they got him as a player here and he, he was horrible at first, didn't he? But, um, and then I thought similar with Ben Rama, I don't think he necessarily didn't look good. He just wasn't getting a lot of starts and he's, whatever was going on. Both of them now look, look money and he's getting a tune out of two technical players there, really, and three, but they're doing the work for him as well, which, again, is a good advert for, for Moises' management. A lot of, uh, as a manager at a club in Manchester, isn't able to get far, you know, supposedly better players that are tuned out of them. Exactly. Um, what, what should be, if, if you were in the boardroom at West Ham and, you know, you're a film football manager where you start doing you start doing well and they allow you to kind of reassess your expectations. Change your expectations, yeah. Yeah. If you were setting those for West Ham now, what do you think would be fair to ask Moyes to achieve this season? I don't. I don't think it's fair to like insist on saying right. You got to get Champions League because just because they started well. I think we have seen. Um, People were talking about the winning the league yesterday. T- yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, aim high. I, I think if they end up in a European spot, I still think that's been a good season. I don't think I'd go, or oh, they flopped. But having said that, obviously, if they do a, a Leicester and they're in the top four, and then come the last game of the season, they drop out, which would also be very West Ham. Um, yeah. Then. That, then obviously you would be disappointed. But I think we've seen teams start seasons really well and fade. I don't think this West Ham team will do it. But it is also, it's a big ask to do it with with the squad that they've got. You know, I've said before that one of, one of the best adverts of Moyes is that most managers, if they had Antonio as their only real striking option, wouldn't, wouldn't have a clue what to do. And the fact that he's able to do that and they look such a good team... I think is impressive over the course of a season that's going to be tough, especially someone like Antonio does get injuries. And yeah. so that squad, if they start picking up injuries, some of them drop in form a little bit as, as inevitably will happen to all players. It's, that'll bring them back in closer to the pack, I think. And yeah, other teams said- will get better. People like you know, Spurs, Arsenal are getting better. United, presumably one way or another, will at some point be a little bit better than they are. <laughs> yeah, we, we said at the start of the season, I think, yeah, write them off. We said they're probably not going to do as well because they've got the European football. Now that's switched to like the European football is going to catch up with them after Christmas. I think if you're if you are David Moyes, you get to January and you're doing well, you might say, look, if you want to keep it this way, you best give me some investment in January. And if it looks like they're getting some new ownership in, maybe they will get some. I don't know. They're obviously doing a, a, a fantastic job now. It'll be interesting to see how how it does progress, but. Certainly, any team at the moment. I don't think there was another team outside of Man City that I'd have looked at to be playing Liverpool yesterday and thought you could get an upset there. And I, it's hard to say that with how Liverpool look consistently. But um, you, you you can run from it, but Invincible's day always comes back in the end. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I have said I don't think a team will go a season. 
un- unbeaten. And uh, it's, it's for reasons like this, really. I don't, I just, I don't see it. No, um, if we just close this out. So the England squad was obviously announced on Friday. Yeah, Friday. There was some controversy with the players that did and didn't make the cut. I mean, I'm less incensed now that the uh, Croydon De Bruyne has been called up to the team. Only because of an injury. Oh, that's still not great. No, no, there's not. And this is, this is the thing. I don't want to just moan about Southgate again, but when he came into the job, he kind of said, look, I'm not like some of these other guys. It doesn't matter if you play for a big team or a little team. I'm going to pick the best players that are in form at this moment in time and they're going to be in my team, which I understand is easier said than done. So the question is, should international squads be picked based on form or does that involve too much short-term thinking? And I think the perfect place to start with this is Raheem Sterling. Because mm. I don't think any of us would say here that he shouldn't be in the England squad. But if you're picking based on form, as Southgate said, he's not playing for the club. I think he has delivered for the country. Cash in the bank. Like we all... As soon as you saw his name on the starting lineup ahead of Sancho in the World Cup, or like uh, in the Euro, sorry, in the summer, we're all just kind of moaning. And then it turns out to be our danger man that got all of our goals. So I think there's enough youth in that team for it to be effective. I think you are going to need some experienced heads in there. And I think as mental as it is, because I still cast Sterling as that 18 year old from Liverpool, <laughs> that he is an experienced head in that He's team. He's still not that old, is he? Twenty six. He still arguably could not be in his prime. Yeah, that is true. That is true. Yeah. But you'd still say from the amount of time that he spent around the England setup, I mean he's done what three major tournaments now. He is what you'd call it when the experienced heads in that team when you consider I don't know who the next most experienced would probably be Harry Kane, wouldn't it? So another player that's out of form and none of us are saying that he shouldn't be in the squad. I think but that's uh, it. If it's on form alone, Kane wouldn't get near it, but it's, it can't no. just be, I guess. Now, I think, I think you've got to and... I was just going to say, I think you've got to weigh up the form in the last tournament exactly. and the tournament that they're going into. Like, so, I mean, if we're on form at the moment, who starts in the number nine position? Probably just see if we can get Antonio <laughs> back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. I think, I don't think we've got centre-backs are, are an interesting place to look because Sterling and Kane as we've said, they've got enough credit in the bank that I think Ian Wright says when it came to um, Euro 96, Alan Shearer hadn't scored for England something like two years and he was still told, like, you're going to be starting for me when it comes to uh, the big tournament. And everyone kind of accepted that because, because Shearer. When you look at our centre-back core, Connor Cody in there, Tyrone Mings in there, Harry Maguire in there, John Stones in there. Now, that's four players there that we're essentially expected to accept and say, well, look, they're England centre-backs. Like, you're not just going to keep chopping and changing it. And obviously feel a certain way about Ben White if you take him out of the situation. I mean, you've got Chalabar at Chelsea playing very well. Yeah. Actually playing games, winning games, keeping clean sheets. You've got Tomori out in AC Milan, who, who's not making any mistakes. He's playing regularly. He's putting in good performances. And then Tyrone Mings is, is being benched by Villa because they don't feel yeah. that he's good enough to play in the team. You've got Maguire who's in as bad enough form as you could possibly have. 
You've got John Stones who started at the weekend, but he's not been playing games. Connor Cody, I mean, I understand he's a funny bloke and he scouts, but <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what else we're doing here. When you look at the other names that are in and around this bunch, this this is where the form thing has to be questioned. Because are you picking on form or are you picking your mates? I think again, credit in the bank from the Euros from the defence that how many goals did we actually concede the Euros? Wasn't yeah, it like what were we giving credit for? The thing, the thing is the the like taking Tyro Mings out for one of those names, you, you don't feel would upset that balance at all, do you? Is, is no. the thing. And Cody, I'd have some Connor more... Cody is literally in there for vibes. I'd have Tamori in Chalabur in those. I mean, yeah, yeah, at least if, Chalabur's if, a future. I, I, I would say if Joe Gomez has been playing Liverpool, we can't, can't get a game mm. there. But you, I just ben don't... White has more clean sheets than any English centre back in the league this season. I mean, I I'm, certainly wouldn't be averse to you know him being in over Mings or, or Cody. I'm playing definitely Mings. Mings is a total liability. He's yeah. he's he's never been. There's never been he's someone so lucky to be left footed. <laughs> no one's ever benefited more from a left foot than him. Yeah, guaranteed. If he's, right, he's not even the best English defender at Villa. I, I, I'm not no, as no. big on Concer as some people, but Concer's better than him. This this is the thing where it's like, are, are you coming out? Just if if this is how he wants to do it, come out now and say, look, I know my squad. I want the same squad to be with each other, around each other. Every every England. Uh, call up we have and then you can come in and play and just put us out of our misery because some of these picks are just baffling in the middle of the park smith rowe has been called up now but mason mount's not been playing the last three weeks he, he's he's been injured he's i think he came off for five minutes to fuck my fantasy team on saturday he's, he's not been injured he's been ill so yeah, like not been his, playing. His, his fitness I think there's actually an update today that I think he's going to step back from his call-up, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he probably had dental surgery. So, um, Rashford's had to withdraw himself. Um, the bloke hasn't played 90 minutes since he's come back from injury and he's like going to be in the England squad. That one's like baffling. You, you can't really explain that. That is exactly what you just said about we're just trying to keep the same group around as we as many times as we can here, which has some benefits to, but it doesn't mean it's a fluid situation. It's not like the, the tournament's tomorrow. No, well, and it's not like Greenwood, these games should be like impossible for us to win with ro- some rotation in there either. No. He came out and said, look, we made an agreement with Mason Greenwood that we wouldn't pick him until 2022. Oh, I don't want to see him in the World Cup in 2022 then. Why, why is that agreement? No one else is getting that agreement either. Develop. No, because how, how... I don't even know the right... How entitled are you that you say, yeah. well, I'm going to step back in... I'll be sorted by the time the World Cup comes around. Don't worry about that. You can still pick me there. What's wrong with him? Why is he not coming? Same one there. You literally say that, look, he's a, he's a young character. He needs to develop. He's got a lot of pressure on him at United. You feel like, what Don't about these other the players? League, then? What about these other like, young players that you're still calling up? Are we going to go, yeah. well, listen, Saka, I'm going to give you a little break. Greenwood. You've got yeah, Phil Foden. In Greenwood. You've got Phil Foden as well, who's yeah. caught in that exact same incident in Iceland, which... Yeah. Kind of derail this and balls, and then we're like, we don't care. Just like, ah, he's, not, he's not dropping him for a disciplinary issue, is it? He's kind of almost yeah. treating him like the special yeah. kid in the class. Yeah, Greenwood's kind of probably our most informed forward for England at the moment. Agree. Uh, yeah, that's probably true. He scored the goal against. Says we're at. That, that's what I mean. Shows where we're at. Like, 
you got Sterling who's not playing, Kane who's not scoring, and then... Yeah, you've got Calvert-Lewin out injured, Ings hasn't hit the ground running at Villa, Ollie Watkins Ollie isn't doing Watkins. that much. He's doing okay, but he's not unbelievable. We shouldn't have let Shay Adams get away, should we? My boy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when you take Smith Rowe out of it and, and you look at the likes, as I said, Rashford, Manx, Jack, before you say, I'm, I'm not doubting whether he should no, I know, I know. be in a squad, I know. but when you've, if, when you've not been playing, it's, it's rough. Yeah. James if you look at has barely been playing and he's been, and he's been dreadful when he has been. If you look at it, like someone like, what would Conor Gallagher have to do? To, he can't exactly. play better to get a call-up, for example. Jared, Jared Bowen's got to be able to look and say, look, the wingers that you've got there, I'm playing week in, week out. And he played yeah, like, today as well. That, that assist for the second goal, third goal. This is like some of these players, if they're not getting a call up now, and as I've said, I'm bittersweet with the Smith Rowe one because he's been called upon a technicality of allegedly recommended him. He, he's got in because Rashford said, I don't fancy it because Ollie's essentially told him, I've got a job to try and cling on to here. Stay back, would you? It's some of these players cannot play better and they're still not getting picked for the squad. And some of them can't play any worse. Some of them aren't even playing and, and they still get in. It's, there needs to be a balance on what we're kind of agreeing. We aren't saying the likes of Sterling, Kane, probably Maguire. Like, if you're going to be, if we know you're going to be starting next year, regardless of how bad you play, you probably should be in the squad. But some of these other guys, it's, it makes no sense. Yeah, I think there needs to be, you've got to have a core that you can rely on. Yeah. But then the rest of it should be a fluid situation where you go, right, you can come in if you're in form and you get dropped. Instead, there's a there must be a sense that there's about in a in a World Cup squad, there would be 17, 18 places that are guaranteed. And that can't send out the right message to the player, surely. Did you see his interview when he said about um Smith Rowe? Where he's like, Well, he's he's been playing well for a short period of time. Hang on a minute. We've had some players called up for far less and he He's outscored any of the English midfield. I mean, Grealish, for us, Grealish is in, is, is in there and he, he's been, I mean, didn't even start the weekend. When you look at some of the defenders that, that are in, I know right back we're, we're pretty stuck. Livramento, you've got to look at and say, maybe, maybe we give you a call up and there's enough players there that you can give some of these informed players a cap and get them in and see how they do. Yeah, and then- I think that it's, it's better to do this now and blood them as quickly as possible and get them in the English shirt than, I don't know, calling Smith Rowe up two games before a tournament, for yeah. example. Uh, it's not beyond the realms of possibility that Livermento, if he chooses to play for us, goes to the World Cup, is it? He clearly isn't a big fan of Trent. Yeah, I was, I was about to say, I mean, you would assume he was further back in the queue, but yeah, he, he probably could jump Trent pretty quickly on... on because Southgate didn't really want to pick him. He ended up having to put him in the squad and then gets injured. It'll be interesting to see who starts um, the next fixture, whether it's Chilwell or Shaw. I mean... Because that's a... I know what, I know what you've done to me recently, but I also know, looking at the team, who should has be Shaw, playing Has Shaw been pulled from the squad as well, though? If, if they have, um, they shouldn't pick another United player. I, I, think, I think United may have... Pulled rank and pulled him out as well. I saw James Ward Prowse came out because he said he's ill. Look, I mean, do, do you want to play for England or not? I, I would say this is partly the one part defence I would have on Southgate, and I guess in any international manager, it's very hard to form 
a squad with the amount of pullouts that come in. So it, it, it's never going to quite look like how we want it to look in terms of the, the form and the, the balance between form and what you've already got. But at the same time, sometimes the sometimes you don't even agree with there's a pullout and you don't even agree with the replacement. Do you th- so I think the Ben White one's baffling because it's like we almost they obviously thought he was good enough to bring along that is Euros, but yeah. But since they're like right, you, you've played in a back four, which it looks like England may want to play in going forward. You, you've proved you can play in that system. If it's proven why you're playing for your club, obviously since. Um, the Brentford game, he missed the City and Chelsea games, barely conceded a goal. Him and Gabriel have been brilliant. As I you said, I think if you hadn't picked it, if you hadn't picked him before, I would say okay, he just doesn't like it, doesn't trust him, whatever. But the fact that he did pick him up before he was good. Normally, and this isn't necessarily fair, but normally go into a bigger club, quote unquote, yeah, uh, will will get you. It's kind of a foot in the door at the England camp, whether that's, yeah. like I said, that's not, probably not fair a lot of the time, but he certainly isn't in worse form than Maguire either, is he? <laughs> so. no, Southgate's watched quite a few of our games, so it's not even like he's not seen him. Like, I don't know if he's just enjoys the plush seats at the Emirates or what, but... He, Could you imagine he, a game was... for England, though, if, if they both have one of their off days and you have Ben White and John Stones? You'd be terrified. That's, that's probably the closest... In comparison in terms of style that you can make, I think yeah. Ben White is, is John yeah. Stones. Agreed. Ben White, you know, touch woods as much as I can here, I think looks a bit more composed. But yeah, I, I think that's a, I, I wouldn't want the two of them in a back four together. I, I can be as honest as you want. Each other that way, yeah. I think him and Maguire might, you'd have to tell Maguire, look, you're not as good on the ball as you think you are. <laughs> let, let, run out let, let the lad next to you do it because he's far better. I mean, when we when we struggled to break through yesterday, Welsh just said at halftime, you need to get Ben White further forward. Ben White charged further forward, and that's what eventually sets up the goal. I, I think as you just said there, T, I don't think I'm ever going to be truly happy with an England squad. It, it's, it's just <laughs> I'd rather be a bit more content than I was when I opened that because for anyone looking at it, you were just waiting to see Smith Rowe's name on there, weren't you? I think sometimes these games, I mean, they struggle to gather a lot of people's attention, and maybe even the players. And so having a couple of youngsters in there, like Smith Rowe and Conor Gallagher, I think would add something to this. There's something, why am I watching? Oh, I'm watching to see how this, these guys can get on, um, rather than Will Raheem Sterling run into a brick wall when he's trying to cross or shoot. Does Ramsdale get his first cap in one of these two games? Yes. He's bloody bad, do. <laughs> We riot, boys. Because, yeah, if, if, if we're going on form there. Um, before we uh, pull this uh, note, Frank Lampard's had a conversation with the Norwich board today, but still no decision made. Jack, that's, that's, that's got to be a bad look for Frank, hasn't it? When the first job you get linked with is uh, Norwich. I mean, it's not the first job he's been linked with, but I mean... But in terms any serious, guess, like, he's had a conversation are, with them. They are going down fast. Um, <laughs> Frank he just does, wants a bit of time with Billy Gilmore, doesn't he? <laughs> Frank does not need a relegation on his CV. Like, he, does, he just does not want it. He does not need it. This could be... Have you seen the three names linked? I saw that Ralph Hassan was one of yeah, them. Like, what, excuse what the me? <laughs> Who would go there? They've been shown I... is so featherweight. 
Yeah, that's Trent, that's the Trent Paul Jewell job. He cannot afford another sack it. That's, that's that's when Paul Jewell took the Derby County job. You don't want to be that. You don't want to do it. If I was Frank Lampard, I'd let Big Sam take over and then manage them in the Championship when they go down this season. That's what. If I'm, I'm Frank, have a, have a look at Villa. But I thought when I saw he's getting linked with a club, I assumed it would be Villa. And then I saw Norwich. Gerard, I mean, Gerard's being linked with Villa, so not a good look for Frank in that battle. I saw someone say, um, "Can you have Gerard and Frank both in a relegation battle? Like, can can they both work together? Can they both work?" <laughs> I, thought you were, in that I thought you. I thought you were going to say as co-managers that Villa's going, "Look, no, we'll make them work. Great. We're going to get them both in." I think Gerard should jump in that job. By the way. Uh, the Villa one, said, not the Norwich one. <laughs> and we said, didn't we? Um, and I said, Eddie Howe, now he's ended up at Newcastle. That's, I mean, that's yeah. incredible. On this when part. he was when he was linked with Arsenal, it was like, don't mess this up. Don't mess this up and a big job's coming. Don't mess this up. Fuck, you messed it up. Yeah, yeah. Gerard, every job he takes, he's got to be thinking, I just need to stay on kind of a level and that Liverpool job's mine. I think he should jump at the village job too, but mm. the expectation there, I think they've replaced Grealish with a couple of players who quite clearly aren't Grealish. And that seems to be that seems to be a, a bigger but, issue than they than they thought. I, I did say the summer, I I literally have no idea how good I think Dean Smith is. I'm really not sure. I think he's at least he's at the Norwich job now as well. And he, he's, he's obviously Frank. He obviously had some luck with the ability to stay up with the goal line technology yeah. not working. And yeah, I just wondered if he was with the signings they made. There was a bit of expectation on this, and I wondered if he was going to be able to match that. Obviously, I, they've been pretty bad last year. I don't think it'd be this bad. Um, so whoever comes again, you've got I, I think enough raw ingredients there that you will do better than the last guy automatically. So I think, I think it's a real opportunity for someone. Yeah, we'll have to see. We'll have to see what happens. Um, all right. So we had UFC two six eight. This weekend, you've watched it back today. I was mm. staying up and going through the motions while uh, having it on on uh, Saturday night. We had UFC 267 the week before, which um, was a fun card. And UFC 268, you saw every promo, you looked at everything, and you kind of thought, I don't see how this can be a bad card. Yeah, yeah no way. often can be uh, the worst thing that can happen. The opposite happened, and I mean, it's one of the best cards that's ever that's ever existed in the UFC. I think people are calling it top five um, ever, um, which does always seem to happen when you leave the country. <laughs> yeah, I'm not there. The card, yes, the card started at uh, 10 p.m., finished about 6 a.m., um, and it didn't feel like it was being dragged out. It didn't feel like... Uh, there were any dry spots. You started the night with Ode Osborne against uh, CJ Vergara. You had some back and forth in there. Um, Ode Osborne won the first two quite well and was clinging on towards the end. You then have had uh, Malsik Bagdasarian holding on against Bruno Souza. Dustin Jacoby, probably my only down part of the night because I had him to win by stoppage and then didn't know he'd only come in on about two weeks' notice and decided that he didn't want a stoppage. And then kind of from here, it just goes nuts. Chris Barnett, 260 pounds, five foot nine, comes out dancing, shaking 
everything that he's got, <laughs> including a belly and a half. A spinning wheel kick in the third round, in the second round, sorry. <laughs> so knockout Jean Valente was just one of those signs from above, like... We're in for a big night here. We're just getting started. Insane. He he then even the celebration after after it's just (laughs) he was complaining in the interview how hard Volante's head was. He said it was (laughs) like a cinder block, and then he was just doing the whole like this. He's such a great guy. Don't even praise me for this great win. Uh, Give this guy his moment. It was Volante's retirement fight. And he spent most of the interview after, like, just shaking his head and smiling, like, I cannot believe I'm at the end of this highlight reel. <laughs> Ian Gary calling himself uh, the next Conor McGregor. I don't know if you would have seen this one. It was on the Fight Pass prelims. No, Cage I Warriors, haven't seen I saw the headline that he won. Yeah, Cage Warriors champion going in. There was a story that was doing the rounds, and it was kind of the Conor McGregor style, like Mario Balotelli, like, did this happen? Um, DC tweets out at the start of the day you know I love me some golf um, I've just been asked if I want to go and play 18 holes um, I, he said on the air he does all of his fight prep the morning of the fights um, and so he doesn't have time to do it and he'll be too exhausted if he goes and plays golf in the day he then ended the tweet saying I asked who it was that invited me to play and it was Ian Gary before his <laughs> UFC debut later that night. He told him it was going to be so easy and so dominant that he needed he could do with using up some energy playing golf in the morning. Jordan That's Williams came out. So. Yeah, and you'd have seen him before he uh let me add those just like you'd have seen him before he fought um Mickey Gore. Yeah, me still. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, don't know which headphone it was that died. Um, yeah, you would have seen him fight Mickey Gall, and um, so that's kind of his level. Um, he's he's piecing up Ian, Ian Gary, and looked like he might get a stoppage because Ian Gary was just backing up in straight lines and straight lines and straight lines. He caught him with um, kind of a step back shot, and then at the end of the first round, he takes one more step back and just cleans him out gets on the mic and does a full Conor McGregor impersonation. Like I'm talking, he says, this is the takeover part two. He then says, we're not here to take part, we're here to take over. He's talking about the whole division's not ready for what I offer. He's saying who he's going to beat in the title fight when it comes down the line. I've got a country behind me and all of this, it was literally like a tribute act. The crowd <laughs> absolutely loved it. He couldn't have played it any better. And I don't know if you know, you'd have seen her do some punditry before. Um, that, uh, Layla Anna Lee, do you know what I mean? She's the yes, one who yes, got yeah. famous. Somehow he, he's got her on his arm as well. Ah, yeah, I've seen, I've seen him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. He's 23 years old. He's, he's winning. He's winning. Congratulations, and young man. <laughs> he met Conor McGregor. McGregor came in to... Um, buy a suit in the shop that he worked at and that's how he met McGregor and then the story goes he told his mum he wanted to be a fighter she wrote him this long letter saying that you're a smart lad you shouldn't be putting all your energy into fighting and here he is 
he looked very good in Cage Warriors, so I don't know if it was just uh, a slow start, the UFC jitters and that kind of thing. But if he leaves his chin up like that against the rest of the division, it, gonna, he's not going to be going very far as a prospect. And open the main uh, prelims, you've got uh, Nasadina Marmov against Edmund Shabazian, who's taken some beatings in his last fights. I actually had uh, Shabazian to win this, so it wasn't a great start for my bet. But how bloody and battered Shabazian was by the end of this in that crucifix and just getting split open was just terrifying. He nearly pulled it around at one point, didn't he? He thought he might have done it, yeah. and then it was just the rest of it was just utter annihilation. Well, it's never good when um, DC's saying like that this guy, he trains in Dagestan, but he doesn't like wrestling. He'd, he'd rather just beat the crap out of you, I think he described <laughs> it as. And then obviously he does go out and do just that. Um, I think Shabazi needs some time off. He's only 23 and he's, yeah. I what oh, Christ, say, I was is he? Say, yeah. He's not he, realised he was that young. Yeah, I think he's like the, the third youngest fighter in the UFC. My words. He's taken a battering from uh, Jack Hermanson, uh, Derek Brunson, Imamov, and I'm sure there's another one in there as well. You then had Chris Curtis upsetting a lot of hackers. Phil Hall's looking as good as he's ever looked. And then, yeah, that was mental. He was piecing him up. That was weird as well, wasn't it? Because it was like a late reaction to the shot. That was, yeah, that was, you know it was a bad I've one. I've seen there. that before. I think we've seen it in boxing before. Like, I saw it in... Um, Shane Burgos against Barbosa, wasn't it? That was, one, he, I'd say, one of the weirdest ones I've seen. Yeah, not that until just then. Then my man Bobby Green comes out and slumps Raging Ally Quinter. I don't know if you saw the interviews after this. I, I love it when a fighter is offended that the other fighters think thinks they can beat them. <laughs> yeah. Like they yeah. say after, like when you talk like that, you got to back it up. And if <laughs> he said, "I'm going to win." <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, some tried, guys that, don't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm, I don't know whether it's just that Al's got nothing left, and his style was made to make Bobby Green look good. But Bobby Green looked unbelievable, didn't he? Yeah, he looked great in his last fight as well, but um, should maybe have gone his way, but didn't. Um, he's what Chris Barnett. He's kind of like if, if Michael Venom Page was likable, he might have some Bobby Green. <laughs> Chris Barnett spoke in earlier in the night, and he said. I like to kind of find a reason dis- to dislike the guys I'm in there, or at least he said he does his research. Like he said, that the most encouragement he got from watching the interviews with Jean Valente is he said that he was struggling to sleep, and he was like, "I just had to cling to that in camp. Like he's struggling to sleep. He's not going to be able to train very hard." <laughs> and he said, but it made it even harder because Valente is a middle school um, football coach, and he said he was getting messages from the kids like. Oh, my coach is, is is such a great guy. Like he's such a he's such a lovely guy that you're fighting. Like <laughs> you understand how nice he is. He's like, I don't need to be hearing this. Bobby Green obviously uh, wouldn't have been having any of that. Alex Pereira topping the prelims. Um, essentially, is known in the UFC more than the fact that he's a great kickboxer. Is the, the fact that he beat Israel Adesanya. Yeah. And that's what's given him a big sell. Got taken down for all of the first round and then comes out with a fly in the, in the second. So I think Alex said it, didn't he? That that's kind of, I guess, perfect because you could say, I survived some yeah. wrestling early on and then I showed you the highlight reel in the second. 
Rogan's big on him, isn't he? He couldn't get enough. Yeah, very. Um, that can go either way with uh, with Rogan. So yeah, <laughs> you never yeah. know. But I was thinking like, you're setting him up to get sparked. <laughs> it's so bad because when you see a guy like that and you know their credentials, you almost resent the other person in there when they're holding. Yeah, most definitely. Like, Come on, let him up. So I want to see his, his striking, which I don't know what happened him during that round because he got up uh, before the end of the second, Michalidis, and just knackered. Yeah, yeah. He, I was, I was thinking he looked absolutely spent, and I think, and I know he's got through some work there, but you know it should be the other guy really. Don't mind you yeah. had him on the ground predominantly. Exactly. And and then this main card started. I mean, what can you say about this main card? Um, for a card that has four decisions out of five fights, if yeah, you told us that. Good point. Yeah, I only just thought it then when I just saw it uh, in front yeah. of me. Gaethje Chandler, having this open the pay-per-view is as good a decision as the UFC has made in quite some time. I mean, they commented on there about how full the arena suddenly was because people weren't prepared to miss this fight. Yeah, I, I couldn't believe how low down the card it was. I thought it was an outrage. And then, as you said, I was watching it thinking, this is genius. This is absolutely yeah. genius. It's what they would usually do in like wrestling. Like you would see it where they'd like open with like like you would see all the big WrestleManias and they'd open with like the ladder match to start the pay per view. And it's like, all right, this makes perfect sense. Get everyone <laughs> completely amped up now. Yeah. And the first round of this was like you usually get the interviews from them. Like I'm not going to take a step back. I'm not going to take a step back. I'll meet you in the middle and we're just going to swing. Yeah, you actually both lived up to your word. For sure. I mean, the first half of that round, I have no idea how Gaethje stays up. It just, some of the shots he eats, you're like, okay, this can't go off a lot. And then by the end of it, they're just trading in this, you know, that, again, both of them are eating shots. You mean, I can't explain this. After he got knocked out, and I think it was the Eddie Alvarez fight, I'm going to say, uh, the Dustin Poirier fight. Is the Poirier, wasn't it? Yeah, so he got knocked out by Dustin Poirier and he says, I need to have a serious look at myself. Um, even when I'm winning fights, I'm taking a beating. Um, I'm fighting too often for not enough money. I've th- something needs to change. And he comes out and he says, I'm going to have five more fights. Make sure they're good ones because you won't be seeing me after that. That's what I've got left. He then faces James Vick and he knocks him out in one minute, 27 seconds. That looks worse for James Vick as it goes on because he then gets knocked out in just about every fight after that. He then faces Edson Barboza and we're like, this is the striker's delight. You've got this guy who's so composed and slick and cool and a guy who's just an insane madman. <laughs> he knocks him out in two minutes and Gaethje's like, this this whole taking time between fights and actually thinking about things is, is actually really good. Put this five fights on hold because <laughs> I feel like I've not even had a fight. They then make him against Cerrone don't really know why they did, but they did. He knocks him out in uh, four minutes, 18 seconds. That then gets us to Tony Ferguson. And he's in there with uh, the boogeyman. Puts on as good as a performance as, like, it's, it's up there in my favourite performances in UFC history. Like, you couldn't believe what you were seeing. No, it's, it's a total beating, wasn't it? Won the interim belt, performance of the night, fight of the night. And that's, I mean his UFC career, performance of the night, fight of the night in his debut, uh, fight of the night against Eddie Alvarez, fight of the night, 
performance of the night, uh, fight of the night, sorry, just against Poirier, performance of the night against James Vick, fight of the night against Barboza, performance of the night against Cerrone, performance of the night and fight of the night against Ferguson. He then loses to Khabib. And that actually did what a lot of people say they'll do with Khabib and really did go out there and stick it on him. So it's Khabib's Khabib. Then fight of the night with Michael Chandler. He put a post out on his Instagram today and he said he needed this Chandler fight so bad because he felt like he couldn't walk out in the street after how embarrassed he was for losing to Khabib. That's how. He said he felt like people were laughing at his family, his team, for the way that he acted in his fight with Khabib and he needed to get back on a winning track. This is how you do it. I mean, as you said, his chin looks refreshed because he's not fighting so frequently. When you look at the one with uh, Warrior, he takes a bit of a beating in that fight. But yeah, yeah. He gets rocked quite frequently and he the same in some other fights. Um, he kind of, he, he doesn't have a very good poker face. But, but he's just able to weather it so well, isn't he? Yeah. It's, it's an incredible thing. I mean, the Poirier fight is one of my favourite fights ever in the UFC. I love it. I'd love to see that rematch for the belt. This one with Chandler, like, the end of the first round, Gaethje looks like, I've got him. Chandler comes out trying to kick his legs and he's seeing me like, you want to do that to me? Yeah. You, if we'll go leg kick for leg kick, it <laughs> just goes in. Yeah, it's almost, like, round, it's almost like yeah. he'd reminded him, oh yeah, you have this incredible weapon in your arsenal. <laughs> yeah. Start using it. Because the second round, he, he's almost like playing with his food by the end of it. Um, I, I won't quote it all now, but there's an article on ESPN. I think it may have been by Brett Okamoto. And they basically, they've interviewed seven of his previous opponents just about his leg kicks. And one of them says, like, I would rather just stand my leg in front of you now and you beat it with a baseball bat. <laughs> the next day, it's not going to feel any worse. That must be brutal. And he's got a picture of his leg the next day, which we always say is worse. And it's like patchy and purple, like all over. Um, and then the third round, it's like, we know who should be winning here, but every time Chandler goes forward, you still feel there's the chance that he can just take Gaethje's head off. He was swinging with almost everything each time yeah. as well. I've seen some suggestions today, and I don't necessarily disagree with Chandler in the third round, but like, there's a point after two minutes where he kind of knows he's going to lose, and he's trying to make like a UFC moment. Like he keep, there's, If you look at back, he keeps pointing to the UFC logo on the gloves, and he's trying to do the thing where he's pretending he's doing the Holloway and talking to someone on the side, but then just throwing shots off it. I think he was just trying to get through the last five minutes. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's yeah. thrilled to get through it. If there's anyone out there that doesn't love Justin Gaethje, like, I don't know who you are. Yeah, I'm it makes sure. no sense. you're in the wrong game. It, it, to be honest, it's similar with Chandler. No, he doesn't have the same Absolutely. history in the UFC, but the toughness he's shown now is not like battered. And bear in mind, he's not, his whole thing is such a, such a wide stance, coming in low. Yeah. And so I, I don't know how he's even put weight on the leg, let alone sort of spring off as he was. It was, uh, yeah, it was it was a perfect fight. It was as good as a three round fight as I think I've yeah. seen really. I mean, if, just if sort of violence. That would have given it the the like complete yeah. package for me. Yeah, agreed. Because I so that's that I, when I watch a fight back, I want to see like a finish to to end it. But Chandler, for all of what was said before he came into the UFC, 
he may not actually be what we thought he was coming in to be, which was... I was thinking that. He's going to be the guy that's going to challenge uh, Khabib. He's going to be this guy who's going to show that... He's now in a bracket for me where Mike Gaethje, I don't want to see him with anyone else other than someone that is going to give me an exciting fight. Let's say he's been in nothing but bangers, has he, in the UFC? Exactly. Oliveira yeah. and Hooker and Gaethje have all been unbelievable fights. Like, and uh, I, I think I saw you tweet something about it, that kind of the result, the result doesn't matter for yeah. him. Because he's still, you'd want to watch him the next time out. Exactly. I was thinking watching these two, it's a sh- and it seems kind of greedy, bearing in mind. Five rounds. The, the, well, no, no, that would have been, that would have been quite <laughs> something, wouldn't it, for sure. Yeah, I think you can't help but think that. I was watching it thinking, I remember when McGregor announced he was going after Poirier, the return, not the rematch because he lost. Yeah. Where we thought he was going to be, he'd just be in Serona, we thought he'd probably deal with Poirier again. This is a bit of a waste. Yeah. I remember saying we wanted Gaethje then. But imagine yeah. either of these guys opposite McGregor, him or Chandler, opposite McGregor, would have been such fun. Yeah. Just feel Chandler like fucked tweeted, up with picking Poirier. He tweeted a face-off picture um, that someone had made. I, that I saw this, McGregor. yeah. And I thought McGregor's reply was quite telling where he was like, look, absolutely, we can do that online because my brother, and he doesn't listen to this, so I can't really take offence. He He's like a McGregor stan to the point where he's gone past now the, like, McGregor can beat anyone. And he's now kind of in the depressing phase of, like, look, I'm going to cheer for McGregor against anyone, but, like, I'm not picking him against... The like, can't be with anyone. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. he said, How does like, he win another fight? <laughs> well, yeah, he said to me, like, Look, I love McGregor. He's like, I don't, I, I don't want to see him in there with Chandler. Like, I know what happens. I, and I think there sure is that. It's clear cut. Like, that's a great fight. Yeah, yeah, it would be, wouldn't it? It's, yeah, that is, I think, though, encapsulates where a lot of people are at with him. And maybe it was because people were just so big on McGregor where they almost thought he was invincible for a spell. Yeah. Um, where now, once that sort of once that bubble's burst, it suddenly seems very vulnerable. And I, I mean, the the odds would be interesting to see him against. Chant. I was about to say Gaethje, but I think I know which way that would go. The odds yeah. wise, and I think even if he got thrown in with Chant, I think the odds would be very close. He'd probably be a narrow favourite just because of the the history he's got. Yeah. But again, you assume at some point he'll probably somehow still run it back with Poirier. So we we still he, allowed to overcome. He's not shown himself to be a one hitter quitter either at lightweight or at welterweight. So it's like it's a good point. Yeah, uh, we've just seen both these guys take shots. We it may not be as simple as look McGregor has to land or they have to get there first. I think we still say get out the first round and then we'll see how interesting this is. But but. That kind of fight, is, as much as Connor might tell you, that's his dream. That's his absolute worst nightmare. Can you imagine him in there with Gaethje charging him down, kicking that leg after oh. a round? Oh, God. It would... but he, he may just tap the canvas and just say, no more, please. Like, <laughs> no one needs to see me out like that again. <laughs> it would be brutal. Before we yeah, move on to the next you feel like you know, the, the shot Warrior puts him down with in yeah. that, uh, well, I guess that second find it then uh you feel Gaethje would put it properly to sleep that wouldn't be I don't think he'd be waking back up too quick no I, I texted my brother last night and said look if Holloway ever does come back up to um lightweight 
if you don't make him and Gaethje, you're in the wrong job. Like, you yeah, make it. yeah, absolutely. Because that would just be like that would be great, wouldn't that? Holloway yeah. probably yeah, has yeah. the best team in the UFC, so it's like he's not going away quickly. Yeah, it would be phenomenal. Um, and that interview after, I was already like, I was pumped. Like, yeah, yeah. I, had to, I, I just kind of stood up after because I, like, I can't just sit down here. I'm watching. <laughs> I was sweating. My palms were so sweaty watching that, that um, first round in particular. I was just rocking back and forth watching it because I was so invested when Gaethje fights. Holloway, I'm a bit more relaxed because I'm you can be with him. With Gaethje, it's like anything can happen here. And then when he says, we we fought each other, like we're fighting in, in the wrong time. I took that as he was going to say, look, we're throwback fighters. We should be fighting every week. And then he says, we should be in a coliseum fighting each other to the death. I was like, <laughs> you're not wrong. Like, yeah, Shiggy, that's absolutely right. I'm just glad I heard you say it. Because, <laughs> oh, just incredible. It's, you see these fighters, and that, that Ian Gary one earlier in the night, and he's a different kind of person, but he's definitely planned out what he's going to say after he gets his win. Yeah. like you can't create that. That's just who he is. Yeah. He also won, when you look back at the interview and he's, he says, Chandler's saying all this, and I do truly believe that he's cut from the same cloth as I am. I can guarantee you he's going to shoot first. A little, as we saw, Chandler shot first. Yeah, I certainly tried it, yeah. Was, uh... Gage, did, Gage did a front flip to get to get out of being taken down in the air. That was mad, wasn't he? He literally just been thrown <laughs> and somehow ended up on... Yeah, ended up with his back. You know, a challenge shoes. How have I ended up here? Yeah. Uh, then we had Shane Burgos and Billy Quarantillo, who are the two most gutted people. It's like, well, now go out there and follow that. <laughs> and they did the best job they could possibly do. And the crowd, until the third round, didn't really appreciate it. They were trying to calm down from what they'd just seen. Or everyone had to go and get a drink after seeing that, that fight previously. <laughs> yeah, I think that was um, probably it. <laughs> Shane Burgos gets through, but I absolutely ha- want to see Billy Quarantillo in there again with um, anyone around that kind of 15 to 10 mark in the division because he's game. He's got a pace that very few can match. And his corner telling him, you've got to rely on your heart now after he's been barely able to stand <laughs> yeah. for seven. Yeah, one thought I thought his leg was just going to give out full stop. It was, know, you know, like under the on the UFC game, it just can't do it anymore. Yeah, the um, yeah, I, th- I thought it was the they were like you said, absolutely unlucky where they fell on the card because on a different card, you, this might be the fight, the fight you come away talking about. Yeah, how good Shane Burgos looked, but also like you said, Quarantel is just uh, it's just going to be a lot of fun. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, then we have Marlon Vera, Frankie Edgar. Going into it, I would have picked Frankie Edgar to win. One of my bets had died, so I went over 1.5 on that because I, so I could cheer on my boy Cheeto. Um, one round in, when Frankie's clearly got the first round, I messaged Rory saying, I hope Cheeto pulls this around. And he's getting really mad at me going, what are you talking about? I've got a, I've got a bet on Frankie here. <laughs> Why do I care about that? <laughs> I don't like Frank Yeager. I'm not suddenly saying, oh, uh, I'm cheering him on today because Rory's got a bet on him. <laughs> Rory. And he was genuinely offended that I, I wouldn't just cheer on his bet after he's told me that he's just won at poker earlier that night as well. Get a grip. And he was genuinely annoyed later into the night. Like, 
Well, yeah. Uh, I said I needed one win. I needed Usman to win for an Aka. And he's like, ask me if I'm cheering that on then. Um, Vera obviously picks it up from the end of the first round start of the second round pressuring Frankie kind of just not taking no for an answer and being worried about what was coming back seemed to break Edgar going into the third and then you get the best kind of long face mid-fight photo that that you could get that was horrifying absolutely horrifying I thought someone was suggesting early stoppage. Yeah, blimey. That was bearing in mind yeah. the um in the Pereira fight where you thought, why is the ref letting him get two free digs in while he was yeah. on the deck? I thought this one was probably uh, a lot closer to the mark. Yeah, did the right thing. Um thought it was good before it was from Cheetah though. I thought the way he turned it, it up. Was, I know yeah. I know Edgar is, you know, a veteran, but but the way he turned that up was was very impressive. He's got um it's Bisping's old coach that's in his corner and he's okay. quite honest and he kind of, if, if, if you're fighting not very well, he'll tell you, like, pull your finger out, like, you're losing this fight and you, you need a stoppage. And I think he knows kind of how to push his buttons. He, he's the type that maybe, they'll give you technical advice when he needs to and sometimes, like Saturday, I'll say, that you've got family to feed, do you want to go he's in a right and, Yeah. And it works because he came out in the second round like, I am not taking a step back. I didn't watch all the interviews, but I thought Vera and Burgess both spoke well on the mic after as well. I yeah. So it's, it's people, people online, um, I don't know if Frankie Edgar's one of the most like loved fighters, but people were really having a sulk because he gave him the middle finger at the end of round two. Someone said, why are people so upset? And I replied saying, because he had the nerve to... Yeah, it's such a bizarre thing. He's Honestly, I, like, I will freely tell everyone: give me the bird ahead of the punch will kick yeah. to the face. I'm, I'm happy with, I'm happy with one than the other. Well, they asked him in the interview, didn't they? They were like, "What was that all about?" He's like, "We're fighting." <laughs> <laughs> and a different, and a different. I know it's not the same, but a different character, and people love it. You know, Diaz. Yeah, is, is frequently doing it. People love it, and it? it's all part of the gimmick. So. Whether Vera tried thinking he could be that and, and kind of misjudged it, I, I'm not sure. I don't think it's like a, if, it's not like a show either because he's the, he's always been the same. Just he's having more success now. Like, he's just he's getting better. The same yeah. With Sean O'Malley. Yeah. He's just the same the whole way through. And then you go into these last two fights and it's like, just don't have a stinker, and we're on for an all timer event. Yeah. Whaley comes out a bit tentative to start and then she starts connecting as the first round ends. Um, she gets a takedown in there as well. I thought she was a bit worried about being caught cold and then she must have heard something in the corner like you can't give her the space basically and she made a real effort to close in. And not to go through one by one by one. I was pretty sure that she was 3-0 up after three rounds. I thought, I thought the third, the third was, was a toss-up. I wouldn't I have too much third, argument. Yeah, it was a swing round. So if I tell you that two judges gave the second round to Rose when she ends the round mounted and having elbows go down on her. I thought that was the most emphatic round of the, of the fight. And two two judges give that to Rose. It's like, what can you do? Yeah, you got no chance. I, I don't want to bore people here. with. Oh, I'm convinced there's something fishy with Rose where... There's blokes that are just so strange. 
when like her name's mentioned, like you criticize her online and it's like the barbs with Nicki Minaj. Like, there's people like searching her name out <laughs> and they're ready to like fight on site. I thought in my head and I've been pretty open, I don't like Rose and Wayne mm. my favourite in the division. I thought it was a pretty solid three two. I I think the third was the swing round if it was gonna go either way. You hear a 49-46 scorecard, and so you're giving Whaley one round. That's the point. What? Yeah, that was outrageous. She just has to accept it after because, especially with someone like Rose, if you come out and you, you, you bitch and you moan, the way the the Americans were with her and some of the references to her being from China in the pre-fight, nothing she could do. I mean, Colby gets all, all sorts of abuse for his shtick. Rose was out there calling her a dirty communist and things before the first fight. And people are like, oh, well, you know, maybe uh, Whaley doesn't get a chance to say what she, what she really thinks. Maybe Anyone they're else, they're not getting away with that. No, no, no. They won't no, no. but with the fans, I mean. No, but, no, but then, look, the Americans will lap that up every day of the week. The, the wider problem I have with that is probably the, the ramifications it can have for Whaley with the rest of her career is that, yeah, she, she could... Americans could easily just be turned off with now because they don't. They only need to. You know, it's like a. You need to be accused of the crime yeah. to be there. So once you're accused of being a communist, Americans will call you a communist forever and a day. Well, uh, it's not her fault chance. what country she's from. Do you know what I mean? If you don't agree with the country's yeah. policy, that's that's fair. But it's not her fault. No, you had the USA chance within about thirty seconds of the fight started. Rose identifying as Lithuanian, by the way, so she's not saying she's American. Um, and she said that she held it against Bailey because of uh, genocide for her people like hundreds of years earlier, like, as if Bailey is the that, one that was doing it. Yeah, that, that feels like a real uh, you're, you're reaching for motivation there, which yeah. as an individual is is up to you. If that's how you got to motivate yourself, whatever. But these, yeah, I think there's a wider implication to the things you're saying there. The Contender Series recently, um, there was a guy um, up against on, I forget the guy's name. He was against a guy from Afghanistan. Um, and the guy that missed weight set, called the guy from Afghanistan a terrorist. Christ. Right in the centre of the weigh-ins in front of Sean Shelby. And they asked Dana about this. And the guy ends up taking a beating. Uh, the guy doing it actually longs it out for three rounds. And then stops him with a minute left when he realizes, <laughs> like, he just batters him. And they asked Dana about it, like, is that not a bit too far? Like, I know there's trash talk, and Dana was like, there's no such thing as too far in this sport. If you get in there kicking each other in the head, he was like, the beautiful thing is, he was offended by the comment. He gets to go in there and settle it himself. It's not for me to do it. And they're like, does that not then maybe create some troubles down the line? He's like, I've never, I'll never tell a fighter what they can and can't say. So, yeah, good one, Dave. That's really gonna that's really gonna go well further down the line. It's the uh, it's the Wild West, though, isn't it? Yes, he is. Uh... It is, yeah. I, I guess the only thing you'll say for him, as long as he's consistent with that, then Which it kind of is open season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but the only time he did take uh, issue, actually, I think, was when Woodley replied "Black Lives Matter" to every interview question, and then he wasn't very cheerful. So some some may not some may. Uh, Make some assumptions there. Rosen, Rosen, Whaley here. The issue is, yeah, you know, put put Andrade in the mix as well. But 
you'd happily just see these these two fight like five times. Like Carla Espars is waiting in the wings. Yeah, no, no one's too hyped about that. <laughs> no one's too bothered. Even though she does not win over Rose. Um, Marina Rodriguez is coming through, and it's like she's probably. I still think Andrade beats Rose over five rounds every time. She was coming on in the three rounder last time, and Rose looked at a win. But every she time she is very good. She's got. She's not even better if they let Whitman talk in the corner because Pat Barry should not be the chief corner there. Oof. Don't care if he's your bloke or not. Like Trevor Whitman has proved his worth in this game. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's got the credentials. He should not be waiting for Pat to say, Trevor, say your no. piece. No, no, no. Especially when Pat's advice is like, breathe, breathe, breathe. You're the best. Yeah, do you wonder what Whitman's thinking at that point? Do you think he just shut the fuck up and let me work? Yeah. Um, and then finally, we get Usman Covington. Two rounds in, I can't imagine you were much different to anyone else in just assuming it was done. Um, when Colby's been dropped heavily twice. Yeah. Yeah, he's both. Sorry. I was about to say one way traffic also at the end of that second round I think it's the first time I've seen Covington tired he looks exhausted I mean testament to his powers of recovery and obviously what goes on after yeah. this but it's the first time bearing in mind you know the pace we used to see him set I looked him in the corner and thought oh my god this guy looks knackered yeah it was very strange he, he looked very um, I thought he looked quite nervous because he kept laughing at everything um, Colby mm. Like he yeah. went for a takedown early and he laughed. He got tagged and he laughed. And I thought, I know he's a guy that has fun competing, but it seems strange. It seemed a when little forced, see, didn't it? Yeah, as a grudge match, really or not, it was like he wasn't sure how to handle the situation. Like, you know, the takedown, he laughs. When had one back on him, he laughed. But then after the second round, I actually scored it a draw, the main event. Really? And I don't know... I don't know if it's one of them where it's so dominant early that you kind of look for the other. But I thought Colby in the third came out. He landed more. He got the takedown. He was pushing the pace. And Usman was really loading up trying to get him out of there. The fourth round, I thought that was when Colby stings him at the end of the round and really hurts him. Yep. And then the fifth, I thought he was just busier. So I, I thought I would have given a 10-8 for the second round. Um, again, I think one judge only gave Colby a round in that one as well. So, I think it might have been the same judge, wasn't it? I think. I think I saw some, right. I think I saw someone say that. Great fight though. Like yeah, again, I love me some Leon Edwards. I'd rather see these two fight five, five times. Yeah, this they're, they're um. As I messaged you on a different card, we'd be talking about this fight probably more. Get your Gaethje channel, basically stole the show. Yeah, and well, just the depth of the show obviously is the main talking point, really. But I think these two are a great match. They're a great match. They're always, I think, they're always yeah. going to be in a close five-round fight. Um, and they, they do feel like just cut above from the rest of the division. As good as it is, you still just feel like Usman is number one clearly. I think Covington is quite a clear number two for me. Rory texted me and he was like, I've got to almost feel bad for Colby because he's so good. And yet the guy above you is, is just one of the best of all time. Like just slightly better do. as well. Yeah. Like everything he's good at, he's even same, same level as Usman. Or even just has a slight edge on his. Yeah. Joseph Benavides had this with um, 
Demetrius Johnson. Wait. He was like, I'm better than everyone yeah. else, but well, yeah. what, I can't do anything against you. <laughs> I, I guess, I mean, I don't like making it, but I guess it was like when Jones and DC were ruling it like heavy. Yeah, yeah. You'd hit DC well, to beat everyone comfortably, but when it came to Jones, you'd be like, I, yeah. I can't pick him. It's, uh, did you like Colby breaking character at the end? Now, I would normally say no here because I think his in particular is a very much a committed character where I do not come out of it. I don't hate it too Good. much. In that. I think there was only a small no. slip. I think he was back in fairly quickly. I know he's been calling him a cheater today, I'm pretty sure. So, so I like there hasn't been too much of it. I thought he probably got it right where he paid some respect, but also what you he didn't get too far. I don't Big Dan saying, come on, you, you guys can get a room later and just breaking it up completely. Yeah, yeah, it's a nice nice moment. Dan <laughs> has to jump in there. I thought he tried to make that about him, didn't he? thought, I'm getting on yeah. camera here. He, I thought, yeah, I thought he was probably about right. Like, he said his bit. He's kind of told Usman, like, there's no real beef there. Um, he, said, he said, whether it's all completely true, he said, like, the UFC are ready to cut me. I went out there, called all Brazilians filthy, and they re-signed me and gave me a bump a new deal. I went out there, I called... In my, my my fake newsman and mocked his dress and his team and they gave me another big paycheck in the flight. I think it I works. Think he, yeah, whether they were about to come or not, which sounds very much like the UFC would. I think he absolutely had. To, I think it was actually even more incumbent upon him in that he wouldn't be as great to watch without the the, the whole shtick. No, it's not like you can say some people are a great watch. The McGregor thing is, he's obviously his profile that eventually kind of became bigger than his skill set. But yeah. his skill set is still great and always going to be fun to watch because it's, I'm knocking you out or you're probably going to bury me later on. Whereas Colby is obviously it's resting just... heavy, a lot of action, but not a lot of power, not going to be wiping people out. And so it's a much harder thing for a, a casual audience to watch. So if you have a reason yeah. to watch him, so you don't like him. He basically was incumbent upon him to do that. I don't know another way he could have had the career he's yeah. had without doing this. There's a clip and, of Colby um, from the post-fight presser where he, he starts welling up and he says, like, I, I've had to do this, like, the hard way, like, the proper fighter's way. I've not had anything given to me. I kind of, I think he does the white-collar thing. Um, and he, he basically says, like, I've had to pour everything I have into this. And he says you're telling me that he's the best pound-for-pound fighter in the world and I've pushed him to the brink both times, yet but everyone hates me, so obviously you, you, you won't say anything about kind of my level. Kind of like, you can't really complain about people hating you when that, that's what's that is, the money. And that's it. If I was paying the bills, you've got to accept that that's the, the way it is. I, I still think, and I, don't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't pick him, but I just think because of the story of it, him and Masvidal is just such a naturally big it fight is. they can make. That... I actually agreed with him when he said Masvidal should pull out the Leon fight, and I want to see Leon yeah. and Masvidal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, I, I've spoken before, but I, I think Masvidal has been colossally even mismanaged yeah. or misadvised. Leon it's fights just, might have. At, at one point, he had sort of the world at his feet. Yeah. And they never pushed for, they could have pushed for a McGregor fight that they didn't. Colby fight is such a natural rivalry and, and sort of promo that that would have been bigger than him and Usman and Usman obviously has the yeah. belt and I, I just think they, they got it all sorts of wrong it's still time obviously but I yeah. would I would pick Leon to beat Masvidal 
and a week's yeah. point, then four, we've just watched him get beat by a couple of guys in a row. And yeah, yeah. I know the allure with him is that, that he's got losses, but he comes back. That only runs, that eventually will run out. There's no, there's, you can't do it forever. Yeah. Same happened with Cerrone. Um, the, the last thing I'll say on Colby is that there's a clip that always does around when he fights. And it's um, some, some young kid basically um, approaches him and he says, Look, I want to be a fighter. Do you have any advice for me? Uh, he asked if he can hold the belt as well. So when Colby was interested, yeah, of course, man. And he's saying to him, you've, you've got to just put your all into this. You, you, you've got to do two, three, four workouts a day if that's what it takes. Don't cut any corners. Do your jiu-jitsu, your wrestling. And the, the kid says to him at the end, he says, uh, you, you should show more people this side of you. He's like, I really think people would love it. And he says, that's, that's not what sells. I, I tried that. And he's like, oh, well, I really like it. And I think a lot, I think a lot more people would like it too. And he kind of s- smiles and kind of nods. I think more than any fighter in the UFC, he would love to be loved. But he just knows it, that that's not, that's not going to happen. It will be interesting if he does eventually try and do the turn. Where he tries to get people to. There was a lot of Colby chats on Saturday. Yeah, and particularly uh, after he came back in the third. Yeah, I thought the way he kind of, I wouldn't say he won people over because I think he probably had a slight edge in terms of cheers anyway. But I thought, yeah, like you said, that turnaround was really hard, and it probably helped. Let's face it, we've just spoken about the the Rose differentiating yeah, itself from from Whaley with the uh, USA yeah. thing. He's yeah, he's totally obviously in behind the USA thing, so he's Someone's always going to have. Yeah, 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 he's always going to have a certain amount of audience just solely based off that. Which, yeah, again, if, if you're cynical, you're saying he's only done this to, to garner attention, but that's a very, very effective tool. He wasn't going to the White House with the way he was playing, with the way he was acting previously. No, no, it, it, absolutely not. Exactly, that's exactly it. I, I, by the way, will always love the Kurt Angle entrance. Always, fun. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, we've done extra about 40 minutes I think so um, long episode for anyone that does want to hear uh, about all sports so thank you again for listening to another edition of Spitballing Pod have you seen King of New York? yeah yeah, yeah. let's watch that tonight that or Captain Phillips for you? Uh, King of New York for me but that is a good matchup I'm going to watch it this evening I think so uh, be back then hopefully I'll have Keenan with us I know he's not feeling too well Sean claims he'll be there Thursday so if there is no pod, then, you know, Sean's let me down. <laughs> um, thanks again for listening. We'll be back. Goodbye.